0: Once again to the TetraCast. As always I am Brian Vitale and joining me today are George Foster. Uh that's where you t- that's where you drive in George can you hear me?
1: Oh sorry my the audio cut out then I was sat here I was sat here wondering what happened.
0: We are keeping this
2: opening as is just like this.
1: <laughs> oh okay
0: all right that way I don't edit it later and okay uh and then also you just heard his voice is adam Vitali. so is this uh quarantine episode so you say three? hello oh yes We're, we are going to be in quarantine mode for the foreseeable future and now uh finally we have james galizio hey so it is a another uh kind of quiet week but we kind of had a, bu- a bit of a bombshell dropped just a couple of days ago when we already had a few news topics to talk about in terms of RPGs. And we're obviously going into a very busy month with a lot of games on the horizon. But then uh, Nintendo just decided to like stroll on by and drop a whole bunch of news at our feet uh, just two days ago. And a lot of it RPG related. So all of a sudden, uh, Thursday morning... Adam and a few others on the website were scrambling to figure out all the all the new tidbits and details that fell out of that, with, of course, the highlight being Xenoblade, but also stuff on Pokemon and on uh, a few other RPGs like of Default 2. So we have a whole bunch of stuff that we want to talk about and uh, look forward to. So that's all on the docket. But, of course, before we get there, we're instead going to talk about what we've been playing this week, RPG or not. Uh, I don't know who wants to go first, uh, so I will just pick out of a hat. Uh, James, what have you been looking at uh, this week?
3: Uh, what have of- I been playing? Yeah. Um, well, last week I talked about how I just started Doom Eternal, um, and I ended up playing the rest of it this last week. I definitely can see why some people don't enjoy it as much as Doom 2016, but for me, I think it's going to be really hard for me to go back. Because pretty much everything about it is better than 2016 in my eyes. Like, I guess the only thing that I can kind of see why, like, some people would really prefer 2016 is maybe the fact that the areas felt like actual locations, whereas in Eternal, it definitely kind of really leans into that video gaming aspect of it. Like, with the, uh, like, I think, like, the third or fourth level, you have literal, like, Mario lava bar like fireball bars like spinning around like in midair and it's like yeah that's a that's a video game ass location yeah it's um, not
0: uh what's the word diegetic it's like this doesn't actually make any sense in any context other than being in a video game which is fine if that's yeah. what they're if that's the zone that they're going for but that's not what they had in the... so i've played yeah. uh, my, where i'm coming from is i've played doom 2016 but i haven't played eternal yet i have seen some feedback about it uh, and I know uh, George has also played a tiny bit of it. I don't know if you not have any comments based really... on what little you've played. No.
1: Not not enough <clears> to come <throat> to a verdict on it, but enough to say that I'm sad that I haven't played more. Uh, it's it's just been it's been a busy sort of week, um, so I don't have the time to put into it. Especially since yeah, well... Animal Crossing seems to be taking up most of it.
0: Yeah, and all of our timescales have all been kind of set up and, you know, upset, that's what I meant, uh, from virus stuff, which is going to be a continuing thing. So, that, that's something we're just going to have to get used to. Uh, so, James, how do you yeah. feel about uh, Marauders? Because I hear a whole bunch about them when it comes to Doom Eternal. I um, think that's what they're called.
3: I think that they're not actually that bad to deal with. Because there's, like, one trick you can do where you can quick swap between the Ballista and the Super Shotgun. Because what happens is if if you hit them in their weak spot with either of those two weapons, they'll actually be stunned for like a split second. So you can quick swap between them. And if you're fast enough, you can do super shotgun, ballista, super shotgun, and hit them with all three attacks. And then basically if you bait them into doing that like three times, they're dead. Like (laughs) It's really not that bad. I didn't have that many issues with them, I'd say. Um, I do know that other people have had been having more issues, and maybe it's something that people playing on consoles are having more trouble with. I can definitely see that, because the way that he moves around and he kind of, like, dashes behind you, it's... Honestly, the game itself just feels like it was deliberately designed for PC players first, and I don't know how well it would work with a controller.
2: So you're playing keyboard-mouse?
3: Yeah.
0: So is this uh, gun-switching thing for the Marauder, uh, does it feel like an intended strategy or more of an exploit?
3: I feel like it's an intended strategy because it's the only way for you to kill him quickly. And, like, one of the optional challenges in a level has you killing a Marauder in 25 seconds. And the only way to really be able to do that, like, consistently is to use the quick swap. So,
0: so is the Marauder, like, one of those, like, he starts out as a mini boss and then then keeps coming back like in greater and greater numbers how does that work
3: yeah i want to say so you you fight him as a mini boss at the end of a level like halfway through the campaign and then he'll end up showing up i'd say half a dozen maybe a little bit more times throughout the rest of the campaign
1: have you finished the game then
3: yeah i have i have
1: oh see i I, I'm thinking about it now, and I'm th- I am i would need to get back to it, because I, I loved Doom 2016, and I know I'm going to love Eternal, um, I just i need to put the time in. It's the same There's with Nioh 2, I've day, completely yeah. lost that.
3: Yeah. But yeah, um, now that I've finished it, I definitely enjoy it quite a bit more than uh, 2016. Um, I think I talked about the combat flow, and how it really wants you to swap weapons to use against specific demons last week. But it just gets crazier and crazier the further into the game you get. And I'm not sure if specifically it has more demons on the screen than 2016, but it certainly feels like it. And combat's a lot more hectic than in 2016.
0: What it's really, really did you nice.
3: play on? I just played it on Hurt Me Plenty. I know that people say to play it on Ultra Violence, and I probably will like now, but yeah, I played it on Hurt Me Plenty, and I still feel like it was a decent. Um, It was a very dynamic is that like
0: normal difficulty
3: yeah yeah
0: that's usually what i default to unless it's a series i know really well just just normal that way you know you're not having to like you're you're basically you're basically putting off the uh decision making on the developer you're like well they think that this is how difficult their game should be so they're basically making the decision i'm going along with it where if you select easy or hard you're kind of over underestimating yourself and you're saying i feel confident or not confident in my own abilities so just pick normal that way you're basically letting them pick for you that's that's my mindset
4: yeah
1: i think if i play a game for review, i'll i'll go on normal because it's sort of like the intended experience but if i'm doing it like for a personal reason like with doom then i think i'll go one stage up just to give myself a challenge yeah
0: i can see that if you just if you want to make sure you get like a really you know, tight, you know, full experience out of it. And you want to make sure that the game challenges you to a way where you're actually not just finding the easiest possible technique and just repeating that all the way through. <clears throat> Sometimes I feel like it depends on the genre, of course, shooters versus RPGs or whatever, but there's usually some sort of technique on normal or easier difficulty that you can just kind of spam. And that way it's, it's hard to like break away from that and actually like try other weapons. Speaking of weapons, like, is there like a favorite in uh, Doom Eternal? James, I, don't I know feel if like, like revolt, most like...
3: people I feel like a lot of people really start to understand the combat loop once they unlock the Super Shotgun specifically because the mastery right? upgrade for the Super Shotgun um, so one of the new things about the Super Shotgun in Doom Eternal is that it's alt fire instead of it being uh, I think in 2016 it was a uh, you could shoot twice before reloading or something but in eternal it has this this uh, kind of grappling hook thing called the meat hook which you can shoot and it'll attach or, attach to a demon and you'll basically slingshot towards them um two things about it one you can actually flick your like uh, aim at the last second to kind of like shoot past the um demon so it can also be used as a traversal tool which is really important in doom <laughs> especially like uh like even in 2016 you, you had to keep moving and it's, doubly true in the eternal but the mastery upgrade for the super shotgun actually makes it so that the meat hook is on fire and when it attaches to a demon it puts them on fire and one of the new things about doom internal's combat loop is that it really expects you to use everything at, at your disposal and one of those i um one of those um options is setting demons on fire because when they're on fire they start dropping armor And if you shoot them, they drop even more. So, ideally, all of the demons that you're fighting, you want them to be on fire because that way, even for getting hit, you don't have to worry too much because you're also grabbing armor as you're being hit. And similarly, there's an upgrade to the Ice Grenade where um, enemies that are uh, attacked when they're frozen will drop health upgrades. So, like, once you get that, it's just... It's really nice how... At any given point, you have options to get yourself out of a bad situation, and I really think that they've designed the combat flow well. And even if people maybe don't like it specifically, I think most people can agree that the combat flow that's there is really well designed.
0: Yeah, Obviously, I would I'm kind of that. speaking with yeah, I'm speaking with a little bit of uh, you know interpretation based on what I know of Doom 2016 and what you've explained, but I do like the idea of if you need to heal up or get armor. It, it doesn't behoove you to turtle up and like run away. It, you, it, it almost, in, it almost inspires you to go on the offensive to, to, to implement those techniques yeah. and then go get those armor drops and health drops. Though I do want to comment. I love how matter of factly you explain, like, Oh yeah, your shotgun has a grappling hook that can set enemies on fire. Like without any like hint of like how incredulous that is. It's like, Oh, that's just how it is. That's, that's what you do. <laughs> you just set people on fire with a grappling hook out of your shotgun. That's just not, that's a good technique. <laughs>
1: Yep. I can't remember when games didn't have grappling hooks now. Like, they're just, they're <laughs> everywhere.
3: Yeah, that's it's, true. It's, uh,
0: they're a tool that can work from like multiple perspectives in multiple games. I'm thinking like Uncharted 4 kind of added a whole bunch of that to it. And I'm sure there's a I'll bunch of I'll think it Batman. And then also uh, Persona 5, right? All over the place.
1: Oh yeah.
3: All the way back in 2003 with uh, Wind Waker, <laughs> or was it 2002? By the way,
0: yeah. yeah, well, yeah, I guess Zelda's always had the hook shot followed by uh the, the grappling hook. So, uh, I guess James, have you been playing anything else other from other than Doom, or should we move on to what Adam's been doing?
3: Um, I've been playing Ammo Crossing, but I'll save that for when uh, George talks about it because just makes sense to talk about at the same time. I've been I, playing I Fantasy
0: uh, I think I was just going to say the same thing you were saying, where you had played a lot of Doom and George had played a little. Where my interpretation is is that George has played a lot of Animal Crossing and you've played maybe not so much. Let's just talk about Animal
1: Crossing. completely true. That. Completely true.
3: Well, no, I, I wanted to talk about Fantasy Star Online too first.
0: Ah, okay.
2: Because I've ahead.
3: been I've been playing a bit of that. Um, so the closed beta was last month, I want to say, or was it January? I actually forget. I think it was last month. God, it feels like it was longer ago. Just Time we, we
0: no longer have months or weeks. We just have yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's all we've got. The closed yeah. beta
2: was early February. The open yeah. beta was more recent, or I guess now.
3: Yeah, so the open beta is kind of like the full release because it's going to directly uh, translate into the full release once that's out there. But uh, I've been playing a bit of it, not too much, just been the last couple of days. Like once I finished Doom, it's like you know what I should probably start getting to playing this because only one on staff with an Xbox, so it's like, yeah. um, it's it's still good. I will say one thing that's really been illustrated to me. Um, so originally, when PSO two came out in Japan, the way that the story was implemented was that you would have these little scenes and expeditions that would have like little cutscenes and whatnot, and. To progress the story, you'd have to find all those cutscenes, and then you would be able to uh, see another scene in the main ship, then you would go go to expeditions in a different area, that sort of stuff, which a lot of people criticized it in Japan because it was a little janky, and apparently it it was kind of hard or tedious to find all those scenes, so I'm not sure when they made the change on the Japanese version. But eventually they made the change like once a certain act had been released that for the act one story you just see the cut scenes from like from like a menu and then you have to watch all the cut scenes to keep going through the story. And that's the case for the Western release and I'm not sure if I like it in fact now I, I am sure I don't like it <laughs> because you're just watching these random scenes. Continually not doing any real real missions for the most part, and it just it doesn't feel like anything. And the game doesn't really point you towards doing the story. That like the regular gameplay loop is just replaying missions to uh, get better gear to replay harder missions, kind of like Monster Hunter in that regard. But I guess. I've mentioned in the past that, like, Monster Hunter itself was kind of inspired by Fantasy Star Online, so that sort of thing. But, so, um so
0: are the cutscenes, do they have, like, a through line? Like, do they tell a, a narrative, or are they more, like, divorced from each other?
3: They feel pretty divorced from each other, for the most part. There are some cutscenes that build upon each other, but it just... And I think it'll be better for like maybe act two and three, because I think that by that point, they had designed the story that you wouldn't have to worry about that. And I do know that when I played a PSO2 on the Japanese server for a bit, that the most recent acts, the way that they have the story worked out is very, very differently, but I'm not sure when that change really started. I'm not sure if it started with act two, with act three, because what I played was act five, which was very different, was very involved. That's the sort of thing that I was hoping to see, and I'm hoping that it'll be something in act 2 and 3 cuz for right now like just getting through the act 1 story is like really really tedious and I just hope
0: How many that... years of like development time is there between like act 1 and act 5?
3: Uh, I like, want to say probably latest, like I mean... probably like 5 or 6 years, something like that.
0: That's what I was thinking. That's the weird thing with MMOs. like even if you played Final Fantasy 14 or or WoW, I'm sure if you played like the original uh, story releases for those games, which are, you know, products that are six, seven, eight, nine years old, obviously more for WoW and less for Final Fantasy, uh, and then you play recent content, which are, you know, if they've, they've got better tools, they've got a better knowledge base for like what the story they're trying to tell, they might have different like creative personalities at the studio. So sometimes you kind of have to keep those things in mind when you're playing these uh, long. Uh, how do I say this? These games that have incubated for years, and then yeah, you know, you're playing. You're playing this narrative where parts of it are twice as old as other parts of it, and maybe I yeah. maybe that's obvious. Maybe I'm not. I'm not enlightening anyone, but uh, but then if it's if it if the narrative is um, continuous, you can't just say, "Well, I'm gonna skip Act One or two, and just go to five yeah. because that's the new better stuff." if it builds on what came before it then you So it's worth noting i guess that yeah um that's kind of where final fantasy uh that's why they're in the process of either either in the process of or just finishing up like retooling heaven sword or maybe not heaven sword but one of the Um, earlier expansions
3: um not earlier expansions what they're doing with uh ff14 from what i understand is they're actually kind of trimming the fat from both the base game and the base game updates because there was like a really infamous um, quest chain in base game a Realm Reborn, which was which was very very divorced from the rest of the plot and just took an incredibly long time, and people rightfully criticized it. So I think that um, one of the things that they said they were going to change is that they're going to make that quest chain. Take less time, and maybe they'll adjust the XP like gains for the A Realm Reborn like story. So, to kind of compensate or something like that. And then, like, my main problem with Final Fantasy 14 is that I'm basically right at the end of A Realm Reborn. So, I've heard like horror stories of just how long and grueling the post um, A Realm Reborn updates quests are and just how not really fun they are. So it's like I know that once I finish the base game story, it's like I got forty ish like main quests I still need to do from updates, maybe more than that, to get to Heavens Ward, which is what I've heard is when the, the game really starts to open up and get good. So it's like that's dozens of hours of content that I might not enjoy. I have to roll through just to get to the content that people says is actually like legitimately good.
0: And I actually have an anecdote that's actually similar. The more that I hear about this, and I, and I hope this still tangentially relates to Fantasy Star and what you're talking about with the early acts feeling tedious, but I play Guild Wars Two, which is an MMO that's about seven or eight years old now, and one its first earliest post launch story was taken out of the game uh after it launched it was sort of how, like you had to be there to see it and then people yeah. always said i want to play this i want to play this what if i started playing the game after that story took place like i missed it how do i go back to it and you couldn't until just a recent update this year in early march where they finally re-added some of those missions and it was almost like whiplash because me who played it back in 2013 or whatever replayed those missions and they're just designed so poorly they feel old they feel like You don't, you don't realize where the game has come since then, how it's improved, like its presentation, uh, it's voice acting, the design of the levels. And it's just like this boring plotting thing. Like, why did I ever miss this? So to to bring this back, that's when you talk about early acts and fantasy star being tedious and kind of not fun. That's, that's what I immediately think of. Like, I wonder if it has parallels to this, but hopefully Um, it's all worth it. If the later acts end up ramping it up and really feeling like the the devs landed where they wanted to with that i'm really
3: hoping that it started with act two that they really started improving things or even maybe act three because as far as i can tell the open beta and at least i'm not sure if it'll be different for the full release but the open beta only has up to act three so far even though well that's just for the story i think like the actual content like for other things like expeditions might be beyond act three it certainly feels like it but for the story itself it only goes up to act three
0: if i were to launch the uh the japanese game right now uh how many acts are there like how far out does it go
3: i want to i know that it's at least six i'm not sure if they're on seven yet because they have been talking about how seven is coming i feel like
0: And how far have you played, like on the Japanese server, or, or have you not? I didn't
3: it play it that much. I, I haven't played that much. I think like as of right now, I've put more time into the English server because um, the whole thing with me is I was playing on Vita, and the the way that updates were handled on the Vita release is that every time an update happened, you basically had to redownload the entire game, and it's like twenty gigabytes, and the Vita wi-fi chip isn't very good at the best of times so even if i have a really good connection to like download things on like my pc like i'm downloading it like max three megabytes per second on vita and that's gonna take like half a day if not more just to download and update the pso2 and like nah man no <laughs> no not worth Ain't it
1: nobody got time for that
3: yeah well funny story actually uh one of the news out of the japanese side for uh PSO2, is that the Vita version is actually being discontinued uh, in August. Uh, which is interesting because um, one of the reasons they gave for that is kind of similar to when uh, Square Enix dropped PS3 support for Final Fantasy 14 and they said, well, now that we're dropping this platform, we're going to be able to make content with a larger scope than would have been possible before. Because up until now, every bit of content that was added to PSO2 had to be playable on Vita because it had full crossplay with PC. So now that they're getting rid of that, it makes me wonder, like, PSO2 is already pretty old, and people are starting to wonder, like, how much longer it would go on. But now that they're dropping Vita, and they're very specifically giving that explanation that the reason why is because they want to have later updates have a more substantial scope, you have to wonder if part of that is... Because they're finally releasing in the West, maybe that's extending the life of the game because they can double dip on content or something yeah, like they're, that. Yeah, they're
0: giving it a, a shot in the arm where you, they can up the presentation values or whatever. They're doing the worldwide release. Uh, is it is it PC only in Japan now, or maybe Adam um, technop- is it like is the Xbox no, version I- released in Japan, or is it going to end up no. being eventually on a Sony console? I don't know any of these. No idea
3: there. about Xbox version in Japan. Uh, so. Officially the only versions that are coming through are Xbox and PC. But Phil Spencer did say, like last E3 or something like that, that he was basically he was fine, like Microsoft's stance was that it's fine for it to come to other consoles, but that's probably up to Sega. So even like I think the Western version of PSO2 is being hosted on Microsoft Azure servers. So Really, the only limit to um, whether or not it would be able to be put on PS4 or something like that would be if um, Microsoft said, no, you can't because we're using our servers. But since Phil Spencer is basically implying they'd be perfectly fine with it, it's down to Sega and whether or not they want to put the effort into to um, port the new Western version that has a different server interface back to PS4 and then bring a ps4 version west i don't know if they're going to do that i don't know if they're planning on doing that it's so like as of right now it's just xbox and windows in in the west um in japan it's pc ps4 and then there's a pc cloud version so you can just stream the game if you don't want to download the entire like uh application on your pc and then there well Technically, there's Vita until August, and then there's a Switch Cloud version that lets you play similarly to the uh, PC Cloud version.
0: I had almost forgotten about those weird, like, Switch Cloud games. Like, like, a few of them launched in Japan a couple years ago. Uh, It's funny because... Like, like, uh, wasn't it, like, it was Assassin's Creed or something like that
3: yeah assassin's uh, creed i, I want to say
0: i was... almost like complete like those that those are completely like leaked out of my brain like I, I remember noting that and like oh that's weird and interesting i wonder if we'll see a lot of that going forward and then we didn't see a lot of it at least not over here in the west
3: yeah i mean it makes more sense in japan because the infrastructure it the they have good uh internet connections there and also like the servers are located in japan so the latency is probably going to be pretty much lower than than uh if you had a similar thing in the West, unless you're specifically like in a big city where there would be a data center, in which case the latency would be lower and whatnot. So, yeah. Do you think you'll uh,
0: stick with it a long time or is that kind of hard to, to say right now? Put a few hours. too. will see how you feel. Yeah.
3: Well, I'm going to keep playing it. Cause I already basically said that I'd be down to write the review since if we want one for launch, kinda only option here. But um yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm definitely enjoying it. It's just um the story content that's a bit of a drag. Everything else is fine. Just it definitely feels like one of those games, almost like Warframe, where it's really, really hard to get into because there is a gameplay loop, but the game doesn't necessarily clue you into it very well. So like once you get into it, it's fine, but it's kind of like a barrier to entry i've
0: heard i've heard warframe does a terrible job of explaining its systems though i've also heard that its community is usually pretty good at picking up the slack so hopefully that ends up also being the case for fantasy star in general it feels like whenever there's a recent mmo or online focused game in my in my opinion or in what's made you know what i get what i notice it seems like most of them generally have good communities i feel like I don't know if it's the fact that they're going to consoles or if it's the fact that more and more games are getting uh, online centric. So they're not as insulated, but I hear like, yeah, I'm also well, friendly. I, I, I never had a bad situation or Final Fantasy friendly. I never have a bad, you know, a bad run in. It's, it's, well, that's, I'm not so sure more now than I think I did earlier, but you seem like you're going to go against me.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm not so sure about PSO2's uh, community yet because like during a, the end game like concert, Um, last night I saw like a couple of people using symbol art that was lewd like so symbol art is this thing where you can you can basically make these pictures using an in-game editor and it can be anything and a couple of people used it to make uh, naked anime girls and they were spamming it and it's like oh no this is just the beta
1: oh no that, that'll that happen anywhere, that's, though unfortunately yeah. yeah
0: that's that's obnoxious <laughs> yeah. but i guess i would still call that i think a tier that's obnoxious and i wouldn't want to see it i guess but that's a tier under like people being legit hard asses or assholes or unwelcoming that's where i like where you where you want to join a like a pug group but you don't have the right class or the right build and they just they don't they right. don't instruct you at all they just kick you and say get good that, that's that's the stuff where i'm like yeah. worried, not worried about but that's when i think of a bad community that's what i think of
3: I do wonder how it's going to be once I get to the proper endgame content. Because, like, I'm level 39 right now, and the cap is 75. So I'm starting to get near closer to the um, <clears throat> endgame content because you have different difficulty levels, and once you reach a certain level, you unlock um, permits to take on harder difficulty versions of quests and whatnot. So I just unlocked very hard. And then I think there is Extreme or something like that that's the final difficulty. So going to be interesting to see how um that how that has an impact on how people perceive people playing in the game because i don't think like any of the urgent quests right now are anything huge like this month's urgent quests are kind of basic um nothing like the ones in the uh closed beta actually but um It's going to be interesting once those harder Urgent Quests are available, probably sometime next month or May. It'll be interesting seeing how the community kind of uh, reacts to that, whether or not they're going to kind of force people to use specific builds, whether they're going to try and vet people that are joining their um, parties and whatnot. So, Yeah, I guess
0: we'll see kind of uncharted territory but i guess that's stuff that you can kind of incorporate into your uh your coverage for it in some small way Yep. all right so now now that the thing that i was trying to leapfrog earlier and i apologize for that uh the last thing you said you've been playing was just a a little bit of animal crossing
3: yeah i've been playing it every day i mean it's it's relaxing you need something to kind of
0: have you been time traveling I'm gonna judge you.
3: Nope. I mean,
1: <coughs>
0: George.
3: George, have you been time tra- traveling?
1: I have no idea what you're referring to, and I I resent the accusation. Yes. Uh, that sounds. Like, that sounds sle- like right, okay. the-
0: I'm I'm being I'm being that. I'm being facetious. I don't really judge you for playing how you want. So. Oh
3: man, losing all of our credibility here.
1: <laughs> right. Okay. So. I completely get being against time traveling and I think it depends on the degree. So I haven't put my bells into a bank account and time traveled five years and suddenly I can buy everything. Nothing like that. It is literally just my work schedule at the moment <coughs> means I get home at about five or 6 PM and I'm up at 7 AM. So the, the responsible thing to do is sleep in that time. So I have like an hour or two I can spend on animal crossing, uh, and I, I usually complete like my sort of gameplay loop within a day in about like twenty, thirty minutes. Like I'll go around uh catching butterflies, digging up fossils, talk to people, buying a few things, and then I'm done. And for me that's not really enough. Like I, I kinda need to have a bit more, so I'll usually skip like one day and then see what's happening and then I'll take it back and resume as normal, like when I next get a chance to play it. So I have been a tiny bit but not not to the, uh, an awful degree i still had to earn everything i've got
0: does the game actually have a system where you like earn interest on bells in a bank account over time
3: um not necessarily but there is this one in game thing called the stock market stock s t a l k where you um can buy um turnips on sundays and then every day that's not a sunday you can actually check the selling price for turnips at the in game store and choose when to um, sell them. It's actually funny because it's a play on words because the uh, word kabu is both the Japanese word for turnip and the Japanese word for stock shares. So it's... And it's also the same reason why bell... The currency in the game is called bell because um, kane can mean bell in Japanese, and it can also mean okane, which is money. So it's funny wordplay.
1: If you're not... So if you... Because I I realized this and I'd seen it online anyway, but if you leave like a small bit of money in your bank account or or any bit of money, you do earn interest on it. You get a letter through the post saying, Oh, you've earned this much bells. And if you, this is obviously an extreme, if you skip like 20 years, you will have so much money. Like I've seen that online and it's the sort of thing you consider, but uh, I don't Hmm. think I'd do that.
3: Yeah. But there's like so many different exploits in order to make money. Like people have been, one of the things people have been doing is, so you have these uh miniature islands you can go to using nook miles tickets and people have figured out a way to exploit the uh way that insects and fish spawn on those islands like people have found out that so one of the uh fish species that at least in the northern hemisphere is gonna go away like starting next month for like a while is the surgeon and it can only spawn where a river mouth meets the ocean so it's kind of difficult to get him to spawn because it's already a rare enough fish and then it's like one specific location. But one thing you can do on um, any of those miniature islands that has, an, has a river opening into the ocean is you can actually run around scaring fish off from other portions of the water and then checking the river, river mouth and like go back and forth, back and forth and it actually has a, high, a pretty good chance of spawning the sturgeon because it's like resetting the spawn tables. And similarly, you can do something with um, tarantulas because the way that tarantulas spawn is that it's basically the if nothing, if no other insects can spawn, spawn a tarantula, which they can be a bit hard to catch. But if you catch them, you can sell one of them for like 8,000 bells, which is a ton of money. Mm-hmm. So if you set it up so that the island spawning nothing but tarantulas, you can catch like. 20 of them or 25 and then go back to like um tom nook or well i mean timmy and tommy sell them and basically pay off your second loan within like an hour or something like that
1: to sort of redeem my credibility i will admit here on the podcast that i have still not caught a tarantula so so I, i may have to time travel to uh get some more time out of the game but i, I still maybe this is I still have an to... obvious
0: question but what happens if you time travel backwards like what if you set it like 10 years in the future you get your benefits and then you move the clock back to present day
1: so how the game works is that any action you make on the island is like permanent so for example uh i i think this was two nights ago i Got. I finally paid off my second loan, which means you can get a bigger room, um, and I said, okay, yeah, I'd, I'd love the new house. I time-travelled forward um, to make sure that the house was like adjusted and built, and then I time-travelled back to the normal time, and it just it readjusted itself. So I had the new house, but I was technically in the present time. It only really shows itself if you start doing it to a degree of like, oh, I've time-traveled 20 years in the future, and then I'll go back. It'll start messing with it then.
0: So, where do we go from here? How long do you think you're going to stick to your daily 20-minute routine of going, to, going through the uh, shaking your trees and digging up fossils?
1: God, at this point, it seems like... I, the game just has a grip on it's me. It's part of your life now. I would, ha- yeah, it re- it really has started appearing like that. Um, I think I can see it being something for the foreseeable future, especially if it's only like twenty minutes and you can fit that into any day, really. Uh, and I just like to say, while we're talking about Animal Crossing, that the community is incredible. Like the things that people are creating and just the general vibe. I know this has sort of been known for a while now, but. Having actually finally experienced it myself, yeah. it's just so great to be in.
3: Yeah, it's so kind of crazy just how well the game is selling. Because like uh, New Leaf sold something like twelve million copies like worldwide, but first week sales for both Japan and uh, the UK, I believe, um, New Horizons has outsold the first week sales for every ever game in the series combined in both of those territories. I
1: think it's also and sold as- best like on the Switch as well.
3: Yeah, best on the Switch, and there's a chance, if uh, we incorporate digital sales for the Japanese version, that Animal Crossing's first-week sales are the best first-week sales of a game of all time. And what? It's the best yeah.
0: week sales for a Switch uh, since its life, right? And I saw something say, yeah. like, Holy crap. I said, Like b- before, before we got the numbers, I saw someone who was optimistically saying, like, I wouldn't be surprised if this game sold over a million and then the number came in and it was 1.8 million or something like that. It was just It's 1.88
3: and what I was talking about is that the best first week sales for a game in Japan's history is actually Pokémon Black and White, which was around 2.6 million. So it's 1.88 million for Animal Crossing first week sales without digital taken into account. So it just needs to sell less than half of what it sold physical copies and digital sales in order to meet that number, and considering the current situation, considering the, it feels like Animal Crossing is one of those games that would have a higher digital share rate just because it's one of those games you always want to have on you. Yeah, it's, that's what I was thinking. It like, seems if you want like to
0: log in for twenty minutes. Yeah, it's conducive. It to have seems people. like,
3: and we probably will never know because, like, when uh, Nintendo releases sales numbers or release it for worldwide but it seems possible if not likely that if we take digital sales into account that Animal Crossing may very well be the number one first week sales for a game in Japan history which is crazy if that's the case
1: and you know, the fact I, that you I have think to... we've definitely talked go ahead oh uh, i was saying that i know we've talked about this on the cast before in regards to sale numbers but when i hear something like that like oh best sales i'm expecting like a a really stupid number like gta 5 or something just because that has sort of spoiled the idea of good game sales
0: yeah it's kind of weird how we have like these tiers where you have like the second yeah. second rates not is too negative but you have like the the um the non triple edge JRPGs, which are like a million or, or maybe a million and a half i'm talking about, like xenoblade chronicles 2 or like tales games yeah. which sell maybe in the hundreds of thousands something like that like those are good numbers And then you have, like, your AAA, like, Japanese games, which might sell 3 million, 4 million, 5 million. Then you got your Capcom-type games that might have a more broader appeal, which sell, like, 9, 10 million, like, you know, Monster Hunter or Resident Evil. Reminder that uh,
3: Monster Hunter World is the best-selling third-party Japanese game of all time.
0: And it's at, what, 12 million plus 5 million expansion, something like that? Jeez. Yeah,
3: 15 million. And then, I think then the
0: Rockstar is like a tier above everything else We're just like, yeah, 20 million, 25, 30, yeah. I don't know. Just a it's funny, you the, the margin of error is just a couple million up or down where for other games, that's their whole lifetime sales. It's just, yeah. it's all tiered. It's weird how you have to like frame it between, uh, you know, what other games in the series have done. I was surprised uh, Gran- that
2: Grand Theft Auto 5 is above 100 million.
0: What was I thinking? of? just like last year's sales were
1: twenty million or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's still like number one on the UK sales chart, like basically every month. I'm pretty sure.
3: Yeah, but it's and gonna be an interesting. Turner also, theme.
0: like doubled up on Doom 2016 or something crazy like that.
1: Deservedly, I think with Doom 2016 there was a lot of like people were like, is this gonna be any good? Because Rage wasn't fantastic and yeah,
0: it was. It wasn't really at a good. They didn't have like a good. Uh, few years ramping up to doom they had a few like failed projects and rage and then no yeah. one knew that doom was going to be that good
1: god i want to play doom i i cannot wait to have the time to get back into that but then we don't like if we think what's coming out in two weeks now is it final fantasy like god knows if i'll ever get to play doom again
3: i feel bad for neo 2 because it didn't even get a full week before animal crossing and doom eternal came to steal its lunch money
1: Yep. It, wait, <laughs> I've literally like the prime example of that. Someone who was really excited for Neo Two and like, yeah, this game's amazing. And then Admiral Crossing comes along. I'm like, what's what's Neo Two? I, I don't know what you mean.
3: Never heard of her.
1: <laughs>
0: and I've mentioned yeah. on a couple podcasts that I want to play it, but now it's like, when will I do that? I have no idea. Wait for next year's all. Well, wait or for it to come out. To p- to well,
3: came it. Wait for it to come out on PC. I mean, it'll probably come out in the fall.
0: It's it's on, it's I won't I won't say it's on my backlog. Cause I I, don't, I haven't purchased it, but it's like on my it's on the list. Hypothetical backlog. Yeah. Let's just jump yeah. right over. Adam, you have not been playing Animal Crossing or Doom or Fantasy Star. <laughs> so what? So, so what have you been up to?
2: Um, not a whole lot, but so actually a while ago. I played a game that no one's heard of called Iron Danger. <laughs> so what this is, is a indie RPG from a Helsinki studio that is a tactical game. And we, I put up the review earlier this week. And it's, it's one of those games where it's like, it's not a big splashy game, but I kind of like trying out these smaller scale titles and just trying to find, you know, rough gems out there, something different, something new. And this game, uh, is a tactical RPG that was really when it was being like the trailers and whatnot was marketing its um, tactical combat having this time rewinding mechanic where you would set up attacks and kind of use peek forward in time uh, look at what enemies are going to be doing um, manipulate that to your advantage to your positioning and the attacks you're doing in your blocks to work to your um, to work to your advantage and it had like a that had a decent you know, concept to me, like, okay, I know similar games have tried similar things, but this one looks like it's going all in on it. And so I gave it a shot. And it's it's one of those things where my broad take on this game is that this game is so focused on this time-rewinding mechanic to its own detriment, to the point where I think it works exactly how they envisioned it to work. I feel like they, they made good on what they were trying to do but this on a conceptual level, it ends up being, or maybe maybe the best way best way to put it on like an execution level. When you're actually taking part in this time rewinding mechanic, you have to play as a perfectionist, and you're doing this peeking forward and rewinding time concept all the time, and it ends up being a pretty tedious game to play. So it like it works, and it's functional. And it basically behaves how you'd expect it to, but the fact that it's so focused on it kind of got old very quickly. And that that I, I scored it a six out of ten because it it just didn't really hook me. But it me. wasn't
0: like execution or bugs; it was literally just I don't like how this is put together. I don't. I'm not jealous yeah. of how it's designed.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's more of a design. Well, I guess it depends on how you put it. Put it right. Like the the they 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 they. Did not fail in meeting their concept. Like their concept that they put forth in this game, in this mechanic, is it feels like it works exactly how they wanted it to. So like conceptually, they did not fail in meeting it. But conceptually, I feel like there's some issues in how it's designed. Um, and you saw me playing a little bit of it when I was streaming it earlier, and it just. When I say you're constantly peeking forward and peeking back time, I mean constantly. Like when you're doing combat, ninety percent of the time you're gonna be messing around with this, with this timeline bar that you have. It looks like um. It looks like like a photo, like a video editor actually. Where, but instead of instead of lining up clips or effects, you're lining up attacks and movements, and you're just doing that all the time. And do you like editing in Vegas or Premiere?
0: Then you should try <laughs> Iron Danger. <laughs>
2: and the thing is is like the game is also the type of game where enemies are very dangerous even regular enemies where you cannot really take you can take about 3 hits and you're dead um so you pretty much have to play as a perfectionist so it's not like you can just oh i got hit here that's okay you know no big deal i'll just i'll just hit it you basically like oh i got hit i better pause rewind readjust what i'm doing here and try again and so you're doing that all the time and That's, that's basically my general thoughts on that game. Um, story-wise, it's not very interesting. Basically, you are a girl, Kapuna, from a village, and she dies at the onset of the game, supposedly. But because of a god kind of coming in, divine intervention at the last second, that god gives her these magical powers plus time-rewinding powers, and that's where the premise comes into play. And then you're basically spending the game collecting these shards to improve her powers to take on this evil witch from like the north is just this vague location that's mentioned a few times in the game. So the north, these Northlanders are who's invading and who are the bad guys here. So that's basically the game is you're going around collecting these shards and it's an indie game. So I'm not, not expecting some big dramatic epic narrative here. But one thing that actually kind of caught me off guard was I'm, I'm fighting a boss and i could tell it was like a pretty big boss it was um like a big iron bear sort of machine that you're fighting and uh you take that out and at that point you basically have all the shards and you're about to take on like go to the north to take on this witch queen and then the game ends <laughs> like if it's like a like a yeah. teaser almost yeah <laughs> um and Looking up this game on the developer's website, it looks like they have ambitions to make this into like a comic or something, like a tabletop game even. And so it's like, maybe they're trying to like put this storyline they're writing into another medium or something. But the way that the game was presented to me in terms of the story, like I was not expecting the game to end there. Like usually you can kind of tell, like I'm on the final boss or whatever, but this game I did not, I could not tell. I was just, like. Actually I think I was streaming it when I beat the game and Brian can probably attest. I'm like, "Wait, that's it? Like that that was the ending? I didn't even realize I was at the ending." Um so
0: it was, and it was I will just... say it's just as tedious to watch as it is <laughs> uh, according to you to play because it's like it's like watching I... someone like reverse and fast forward through the same 10 seconds every every 3 seconds.
1: I have to say like I'm I'm quite enjoying Adam going out and playing these games and coming back with a progress report. Like last week wasn't it uh, Wasteland that you played? Wasteland free? Yes. Yeah.
0: So like hopefully eventually he'll put his he'll reach out to something different and actually like fall in love with something. But instead he keeps coming back. Animal instead. Crossing, that'll uh, be the one.
2: Well last year I played like an indie game called Operencia, which is a dun- dungeon crawler and it was developed by a pinball game developer and that actually turned out pretty well and they're actually releasing that on more platforms um like in that this week anyway um so that was like one example of, it, of one of these smaller scale games that you know i just kind of try it and like hey that was actually pretty good but yeah this this iron danger game i feel like if i wanted to fix it in a way what i would do is make it so like the enemies aren't so deadly maybe in that way you don't have to play as a perfectionist, because the main thing that kind of that basically catalyzes the tedium is the fact that you have to block every attack and you have to dodge every hit and so and of course you can't tell the future and that's why the game allows you to peek ahead in the future and then you can dodge it but if the enemies were maybe not so deadly and you could maybe take a few hits without having to worry about rewinding time or whatever then maybe it would be less tedious but basically as it is you could only you you'd only you kind of have to, to like,
0: egregious cases instead of every yeah
2: case. you kind of have to and that that makes it that that's what makes it tedious um i didn't hate the game as much as it might sound like i am it just kind of feels like man this is kind of a swing and a miss here so yeah
1: i, th- I think generally it's a lot easier to talk about um the problems of a game even if you really like it so I remember when we were doing the Remind podcast, I could talk for an hour about all the little things I didn't like about Remind, even though just as a general thing. Not trying to relate it back to Kingdom Hearts as usual, just a...
0: Nah, it's a good comparison. Uh, But with that said, we have a review for Iron Danger up, and with Adam's glowing half-hearted recommendation, you can check it out. It does a few interesting things, it just seems like it doesn't quite nail the landing, but uh you have one other game yeah, that's basically here. Uh, that you yeah, said. so oh, is that it? I don't know if you want to talk about this. No,
2: I, I'll talk about it. Um, why not? So, uh, I guess it sort of, sort of fits in with the fact that Nintendo announced a release date for Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. I actually started Xenoblade Chronicles X, or Cross. I don't even know what it is. It like X or Cross? Whatever, i think one. it's
0: cross but i don't
3: yeah i think it's cross i'm not, gonna, I'm, not yeah. I'm
2: not
0: gonna like i'm not gonna <laughs> like admonish you for saying x
2: yeah cross so that's the wii u game i actually started it like last may so it's almost been a full year like 10 months or so but i've just basically been playing it off and on in between like major releases which to be honest is probably the best way to approach that game it's so you if, if you're familiar with xenoblade you probably know this already but it's it's basically a spin-off of the other two Xenoblade games. It's not connected in story at all. Um, not yet. Who knows what they'll do. But it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit different in focus in that it's not so story and character-driven like the other games are. It's more like a sandbox, open-world game with the Xenoblade uh, combat system. It's similar to the other games. And there is a storyline... And there are main quests and whatnot, but it almost feels like an offline MMO in a way. And the game story is a little bit more segmented and focused on character quests. And just just to put it in perspective, there are eighteen party members that join your team, um, and each of them has you know a set of like three or four quests that you can do. And that's the bulk. There is a main main storyline as well, but these character quests are a good chunk of the like cutscenes and whatnot. So this game is very rough around the edges in terms of uh like it's animations it's polish, some of the ui stuff some of the quality of life fast traveling and uh things like that it's 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 it's, it's kind of janky in a way that the other two xenoblade games aren't really but despite that i really found myself liking it a lot it's 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 a very free-form type of game where you have a lot of flexibility in how you, like, approach it because it is just a big, giant sandbox, and you can kind of go – it's one of those games where at the start of the game, you can pretty much go in any direction that you want um, and do whatever you want, and you can kind of ignore – you can ignore the main storyline for 50 hours if you want to, which I almost did. It's that type of game, and I just kind of like that. And you can not only, in not only like your physical space, but your character, you can, there's like 11 different classes in the game and several different types of weapons. You get a ranged weapon and a melee weapon, and you can basically mix and match these. So you can build your character in quite a variety of ways as well. So it's a very free form play as you want sort of game. And I really appreciate that a lot. And basically over the last 10 months, I've just kind of been, you know, when I'm in between games, and, and just had a free afternoon to spare, like, you know what, I'll just load this up again and put some more time into it uh, and just kind of explore this region, kill some things, uh, do some quests. There are a lot of quests in this game, probably more than 500. Um, that might be a lot, but 200. There's a lot.
0: Well, <laughs> a lot. I remember Xenoblade I, I I to... Chronicles has a ton, too, so it's kind of yeah. like it yeah. comes with the territory.
2: It's there. in the hundreds. It's a lot. Yeah, I, it's I, funny. I might exaggerated a bit, but... There are a ton of quests, like heart to heart quests, normal quests. There's kind of these basic quests and repeatable quests. There's a ton of them. So you can if it's if it's one of those games that you kind of play as a traditional Japanese RPG where you just sort of knock out your quests, I can see how people maybe got tired of it because it just it feels never ending at times. But I think the way that I played it kind of off and on, just in my free time over the course of 10 months, it probably didn't I didn't really tire out from it because I just played it in chunks like that. And the story stuff is actually pretty interesting, despite being a lot. Actually, maybe maybe one reason it's interesting is because it's a bit leaner than the other Xenoblade games. There's not so much exposition dialogue and dialogue uh, and exposition dumps and things like that. And just like the other Xenoblade games, there are a few uh, themes that it touches on in terms of like... The creation of the world and what it means to be human, and uh, you know, all the other Xenoblade games talk about things like what are blades compared to, you know, not blades and things like that. So there are some themes that it goes into that, just like the other Xenoblade games, that are interesting enough. So I feel like it does its job. And actually, I didn't even realize this, but when I beat the game, it does sort of end on a weird, kind of interesting, sort of cliffhanger. And so I understand now why there is a group of people I see always asking like for Monolith Soft to make a sequel because there are unresolved questions that the game throws at you right at the end and it's, it's one of those things like now I want to see what goes what happens from there so so we'll see but in it, it, it might actually be my favorite Xenoblade game and that's just most, more more based on my taste of what I like in games it's the, the the freeform nature of it where i can just kind of do what i want i can i can ignore the story if i if i if i want for for a whole 50 hours just exploring and doing what i want so i know that's actually interesting he
0: would agree with you sorry
2: if josh was here i was saying
0: if josh was here he would agree with you uh what were you gonna say george
1: i was gonna say as someone who hasn't played and i'm gonna get a lot of hate for this uh any of the xenoblade chronicles games Until Definitive Edition, I will be picking that up. Where would you guys rank the games in the series? I'm assuming you've all played them all, judged Uh, by the conversation.
3: I haven't played Cross. I actually... Sorry.
2: No worries. Um, Xenoblade Chronicles Cross, it it has the worst presentation of all the games, including the original Xenoblade, like before Definitive, like the glow-up. It has some pretty bad character models, and most of the cutscenes are characters talking in a circle. Um, there are a few more well-directed cutscenes, but um, and the voice acting is okay. It's not great, um, and so like if you're a type of person who really likes high presentation values and and really really nice looking graphics, it, Xenoblade Chronicles Cross can look like that when you're looking around the world and the enemies, but a lot of the like the character models and things like that are not. It was their first HD game, really. And so they're not great. (laughs) Um, And if you really like a story focused game, you probably won't like Cross as well. I think in terms of like a story focus, I think the original Xenoblade is the strongest there. Um, I do think Xenoblade Chronicles 2 might have a slightly more, how do I put this? I don't think the story execution is as good, but it has maybe some themes that are slightly more interesting. And then it has some improvements on gameplay and quality of life this the it didn't have those at launch all of them, but over time it eventually got those uh but one the thing... I think the original i think is probably the most well rounded overall yeah. like it has good gameplay, good story, doesn't have any weird things like the blade um uh
0: RNG field God, skills
2: uh, yeah or the or the yeah the the field skills it's also not quite so anime all the time i mean it is anime but not to the hyper levels that it's it's a
0: it's a nine instead of an 11 uh
3: what i want to ask is um so one of my main problems with xenoblade 2 and i'm actually i finally got around to setting it up so i'm going to actually start playing xenoblade uh, across this week probably um one of the things i didn't like about xenoblade 2 versus xenoblade 1 was that um It felt like there wasn't ironically enough as much of an emphasis on exploration because in the first game if you found like a secret area you you'd get like a ton of xp at once and you like level up immediately which was something i thought was really cool and ironically enough it felt like the areas in xenoblade 2 weren't as open as xenoblade 1 it felt like they were almost a bit too linear Like, there was some exploration, but not to the same degree as in Xenoblade 1, in my opinion. Is Xenoblade Cross more like Xenoblade 1 in that? Yeah, Um, Xenoblade
2: Cross is definitely a big open world. And I know some people just don't like open world games, which is totally fine. But I do feel like Xenoblade Cross has – it does a good job at making it feel – how do I put this? One thing I like about the Xenoblade games, and Cross does a good job of it, is that it's very varied – in like what enemies and locations you find all over the map. And even in the very first area, you're going to be finding like level 50, 60, 70, 80 enemies around. And you will you have to kind of be careful in how you explore. Uh, whereas a lot of open world games, I feel like, oh, this zone is uh, you know your level 10 zone. And this zone is your level 20 zone. And you kind of go through them in some sort of linear sequence where Xenoblade Chronicles Cross is not so linear. in that, OK, I'm in this first zone, which is called Primordia. But I have to be careful where I go, like certain certain spots in the map are a little bit tougher and there's going to be some stronger enemies uh, here and there you got to avoid. And then you kind of come back to it later when you're stronger to take on some of the higher enemies. And I feel like it does a pretty good job at making the game feel a little bit less linear in how you're exploring and make, making the zones feel more equal, if that makes sense, rather than like a starting zone and then a final zone. And I totally understand what you mean by Xenoblade 2 being just a little bit more it's it's not like a linear game but a little bit more straightforward in exploration well i think yeah it feels, uh, yeah, I think, it feels well, like
0: I the thing with in like... uh, i think J- J- sorry james is correct in terms of like optional exploratory areas in one compared to two but i think both games follow a very kind of similar kind of like wide linear where you, you start off on the Bionis, you start off on the, oh, I'm going to get the parts next up. You start up on the uh, leg, and then you go to the knee, and then you go to the marsh, and, you know, things like that, uh, to the arm, and then across. And then, like, in two, you start off, you know, on one continent, and then you end up in, I don't even remember the names of the continents. You end up at the place with the, uh, the cat people, and then you go to more Ardain, and then you go to the floating islands that uh, Rex is, like, it's, they're wide linear. Uh I think I feel like I didn't when necessarily describe...
3: mean Linear in that sense. What I meant is, is oh, yeah. that I feel like a lot of the optional areas in Xenoblade 2 are like blocked off by field skills. And almost as a response to that, it feels like the developers were like, yeah, we shouldn't make these optional areas that huge because some people might not be able to get to them until very, very late in the game if they're unlucky with which field skills they get. And it's like, it and honestly, and it, in
0: a cave.
3: It, yeah. And honestly, for me, like, again, a big thing for it. And it's such a small thing when you like just look at it on paper. But a big thing for me is that I really, really liked the XP gain from finding new areas in the first game. The fact that you don't get that into kind of took the magic out of exploration for me. I know it's silly. I know it doesn't make any sense. But for me, and I know that there's some other people that have had the same like opinion of it, just didn't feel the same didn't feel the same no
0: that
2: makes sense to me it's like a literal tangible tangible, tangible <coughs> reward for for exploration and it was sizable too yep.
0: when you describe Zeno played cross i'm, I'm maybe i'm going to regret this comparison but the way that you like had the affinity to how that world was designed so openly i think of that's what people enjoy when they play games like skyrim like when they they play the game for hours and hours and hours before they even see their first dragon because they don't care about the story. I don't think anyone really cares about... Was anyone really moved by Skyrim's story? I don't think so. And of course, one person's going to comment and say, oh, I (laughs) I was. (laughs) But like most people are just like... Yeah, I don't want to be so absolute. But like even me, I remember like having to uh actually be told like hey you should actually follow the story this far so you get like these dragon shouts or whatever so you actually like it'll make basically follow the road at least this far until you go off and do your own thing for a 100 hours because it'll actually make it easier and like more uh more enjoyable but when you talk about ignoring the main story for 50 hours or so that's that's what comes to my mind is uh, that kind of that Bethesda. I know it's obviously that's a Western studio versus a, a Japanese one, but I think, I think there is a little bit of a common DNA there. So my I do last, think it the is the
2: game. Of- sorry, just the final thought is I do think it is the game that it works best if you don't play it like in one chunk because I could see it getting tedious just the way the game is designed if you try to do that. Because it's not story-driven, not really. It's more exploration-driven. And I think exploration, if you just do that for, you know, if you try to force that all into one week, then people might get tired of it. I know some people say, like, I didn't even play far enough to get to the, to get the Skell, which is your flying mech. Because it does take about 30 hours to get one of those. And then also, like, another 20 hours to get one that can fly. But if you kind of play it in pieces bit here and there, it feels like a reward when you finally do get it. It just, um, it doesn't feel so long if you play it in chunks, I guess, is what I'm getting at. So that worked for me.
0: All right. So speaking of Bethesda games, I didn't intend for this, but I'm going to use it. Uh, I have been playing a little-known, well-respected game called Fallout 76. Anyone heard of it? What?
2: I heard this oh. game uh, kind of not that great. And then, yeah, that's what I heard. All right. So, so here's my that? mind.
0: So, yeah, I was kind of expecting that response. So here's my mindset. Um, I originally reviewed Fallout 76 in 2018, and I didn't think highly of it. I gave it a five. Um, And you can read that review if you want to see, like, details. I won't get bogged down in them. Uh, but I also don't like the idea of a game having its – legacy, it's, it's reception. It's not etched <coughs> in blood. We've seen too many cases where a game is able to turn it around, even though they're rare. The, t- the top two, I think, are like No Man's Sky and obviously Final Fantasy XIV. I don't think it's likely that Fallout 76 is going to be like that. But it does get uh in April 14th, it is getting its Wastelanders update. And that's kind of it's only shot in my mind at having that second chance. And I wanted to go into that with like a fresh perspective. I wanted to be like, all right, I'm going to try Wastelanders with as few preconceptions as possible. I'm going to go in. And I, so, I, so basically I wanted to boot up Fallout 76, figure out what sort of build I wanted to play, get all my, my ducks in a row. I kind of played through some of the quests that were um, added post-launch. So I think the game had an interesting post launch uh, roadmap started where they kind of added a few ideas. they added like new crafting tiers and things like that. They added like some kind of end gamey type rewards with tangible benefits like complete the series of quest lines and crafting goals and eventually you'll get yourself a backpack that will greatly increase like the rate that your food spoils or how much how much uh, gear you can carry and things like that. So I did a little bit of that. but revisiting fallout seventy six did remind me of what I think one of the glaring weaknesses of the game was, and it has nothing to do with its engine or with bugs or with stuff like that, that people like to like kind of parrot pretty, pretty regularly. It's just the fact that because it's just set in a place where all of the, all of the um, inhabitants of the landmass are human players, that means that whenever you encounter a quest line or like, you know, the environmental storytelling all of the stories are so samey you'll find like a cryptic note clues you'll chase it around usually there's some sort of monster fight they have to go through and eventually they're almost all tragic because you you come across a corpse or the person left the land like they 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 travel because there are no npcs right because because yeah because they can't say oh this person is now hiding out here And that's where they're holed up until they can rebuild. Or they can't say, oh, this person now leads up this resistance faction in this place. They all have to be dead. Like, that's kind of like, they have to be dead or gone in some other fashion. So I I did a series of quests, all not really related, that three of the four of them were super samey. Like, one of them was, like, a lover's quarrel where one got drowned in a lake. And if you go to that lake and you go to the bottom, you can see the skeleton. And it's, like, interesting, like, storytelling, like, environmentally. But... Then you do another one where they have like a picnic and there's like a a bear that has been mutated because of a scientist like going too far. And of course, this person died. Like, that's, and I'm that's, I just kind of get bored of all these samey stories. And I feel like so many people say like LOL bugs, LOL engine stinks, or people getting saved. And that's stuff that you can kind of, you know, pillory them for. But I almost feel like. Okay, if I look past that, is it still an interesting game underneath? Unfortunately, no, because it's all because the way that it, it's again, it kind of goes back to that Iron Danger thing. Like that's what they wanted. They wanted a world where every inhabitant was a human player, but human players can't replace bespoke storylines.
2: I remember when this game was announced. Um,
0: I actually thought it was like an interesting idea,
2: but in my mind. Like, so they announced it, and it was just, like, a Fallout game that was, like, multiplayer. And in my mind, I was kind of thinking, like, Fallout with cooperative multiplayer. Like, a Fallout game where you can maybe play through the game with a friend uh, or something like that. But it turns out there's more, like, this weird watered-down version of Fallout with more focus on, like, competitive multiplayer. Uh, yeah, at least I don't like, know
0: why the they... Like, two of the modes that they added post-launch, they added, like, this weird survival mode. Like, no, I don't want to play this game like a survival game. It's already got, like, health and, like, food mechanics. Like, that's enough. But then they, like, doubled down on it. And I'm like, oh, well, some people like that. I think Fallout New Vegas has, like, a hard mode that's like that. So I guess that there's some niche there. And then they added, like, this Battle Royale mode. And I'm like, um, don't really have any comment on that. But anyways, to, to keep this short... I think Wastelanders, based on all of that criticism that I just gave, I think Wastelanders, if it's trying to lean it back towards that bespoke narrative, storylines, you know, character di- character driven, you know RPG, then maybe it can actually redeem itself, if not fully, partially. So I'm going to I, be looking I into that. Like Obviously say... it's go ahead.
1: Uh the listening to you then um obviously my reaction was hyperbolic like what why would you play fallout 76 but i actually do respect giving a game a second chance um so so more power to you personally it it never appealed to me in the start and i don't think this update will make it appeal to me again because i'm much more of a single player gamer but like completely fair play to you for not letting its legacy be what it currently is
0: yeah and they, you know it's possible and you might say likely that wastelanders will just be an absolute trash fire where you just go in and it'll like those bugs that i'm just trying to look around and step a sidestep are just going to like show up and people are going to crash out or lose progress or, or whatever or i'm sure there'll be animation bugs that people will love to share on you know social media because that's that's what gets traction um but it's also launching like on april 14th four days after like a big, you know, a big other RPG from Square Enix and yeah, a whole something. bunch of other games launching in in April. Cool? So, I feel like it's it's launching at the absolute uh, I don't want to say worst cuz that's too like absolute, but it's 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 launching at a crowded time. Though I will say going to like the Reddit for it, it does have an active player base. So, you know what I say, like kudos to them. They found like uh they have their little uh, community. Like I think I mentioned on another podcast, or maybe it was just in our Discord channel. Where I'm always kind of interested. Where I'm like, I wonder how these communities of like mid tier games are doing. Like you, you kind of see through osmosis how like the new launches are doing. Like the Animal Crossing uh, players, or you know the the current you know vogue MMO. Like I guess right now the two would be Wow and Fantasy, but how are those mid-tier game communities doing? Well, Fallout 76 is kind of like right in that right in that valley, and it seems like you know I see people joining up to do like the the end game uh, silo runs or or fight like the mega bosses that are like legendary level 60s that you can't take on without a crew. And I actually ran into some of that where I showed up like on a bunker and there's like six people in power armor shooting down a, a Scorch Bees Queen. I'm like, this is neat. I'm not like anywhere near strong enough to take this on, but there's other people here that are. And they're like, they've gotten together and they're doing this. So kudos to them.
1: It's weird because it's always like like had some... a community. But they, they, I remember some of the stories you'd see after, people would really, really get into the role playing. Um, and I'd I read these stories. And again, I wouldn't be like, oh, that makes me want to try it. But it's cool when people find something that they're into no matter the reception
0: yeah it's cool to like people watch and see like what they're what they're doing to 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 make it the best experience for them uh, but yeah that comes out in late April and I do plan on trying it and I don't know if I plan to like it but I just I wanted to go in with as kind of a, a as fair as clean of a, of a slate as possible and I think I'm there like I, I've gotten caught up and I'm ready to just kind of dive in and see how it is the only other game I've been playing recently is just a little bit of Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition, which I think launched mid last year. It's not quite a year old yet. Um, and kind of like uh, how Adam has been playing Xenoblade Cross just kind of periodically here and there, I've been doing that with Age of Empires 2. So it's not a game I really want to talk a lot about because it is, you know, it's, it's a remake of like a 20 year old game. Um, not a remake, it's, even, it's just a remaster, but one thing that I, I'm I'm pretty much a, I don't play like, it's got a very big competitive scene, because obviously the, the major gameplay portion is the random battle where you pick a civilization, you pick a map type, you pick like a uh, number of players and things like that, and then you just kind of want to, you know, actually strategize based on your civilization's, you know, capabilities and their strengths and weaknesses to, you know, basically defeat the other player, and you can do that through just military conquest or building a wonder or whatever, but I just like playing the single player modes. And the thing that the definitive edition has is that when I played this game originally 20 years ago, it only I only played two sets of campaigns, the original one and the um, the expansion, which is called Age of Kings or sorry, Conquerors. Um, but since then, starting in like 2012, uh, Ensemble Studios slash Microsoft as it kept changing hands. Um, basically kind of put their stamp on these mods that kind of became like posthumously official that's not the right term they became official after they were released first it was like the forgotten and then it was the african kingdoms then it was like the last cons and so basically the the original game was very eurocentric it was like here are here are your the well-known european empires but then they started adding like african empires that i've never heard of and you know uh Indo, like the original game had Chinese and Japanese, but now it has like uh, Central Asia, like Kazakhstan and Mongolia, things like that. Um, And I'm not saying this is like a history lesson, but basically I'm going to this game that I've already played as a child and it has all this new stuff to it. It almost feels like, imagine your favorite game from when you were 10 years old, got a sequel that looks and plays exactly how you remember it. That's what Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition feels like to me. It feels like a sequel to Age of Empires 2 that I never got to play before. Oh, I'm cutting out a bit. I'm sorry. Uh
2: just a little. Not too bad. Uh, but yeah, it, Age of Empires 2 is like one of the best games of all time, so yeah.
0: <laughs> so I just did a couple campaign missions in like the African Kingdoms. And it's always just kind of cool to see like what they're good at. Like for instance, um and I won't get too in the weeds here. It'll just be one example. The, one of the African Kingdoms, the Malians. Has their unique unit is a melee unit that can attack from a slight range. So what that means is is that they can attack, you know, over a distance, obviously. But they get the bonuses. Like for instance, one of the early game bonuses is that melee units uh, can do extra damage against buildings. I think it's like it's something to do with like torch or arson or something like that. And so they get that bonus, where like obviously like archers or other range units wouldn't. So that just kind of gives you like, oh you can just use these more expensive units as you're kind of like, instead of using siege to burn down buildings from afar, it's stuff like that. And like, that's so that's the strategy that I would never use as a child because that civilization wasn't implemented. So yeah, that's not a game that I'm planning on like marathoning and playing through all But like a couple months ago, I played through the forgotten kingdoms. And then this year, this month I played a couple of the African ones. And then when I get around to it later in the year, I'll play some of the Khan ones. There's like, 100 single single player campaign missions now across and most of
2: those if you're not cheating most of those can take like an hour or two each for each mission some longer it's 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 a a sort of
0: game where if you're if it's a sort of game where if you're a casual yeah then everything most of the missions are like 40 minutes to an hour and a half depending on how hard it is but then you watch like Speed runs online, and someone's like, "Oh, if you just build these exact units in this order and do it in this exact way, you can clear the mission in six minutes." I am just like, "Oh, geez, how do people figure this stuff out?" Like, if you send <laughs> one one, one petard, two archers, a long swordsman, and a cavalier in this five-unit transport boat, and then do them in this way, you can clear the whole map in, uh, you know, in a coffee break. I'm just like, "Jesus, how do people figure this stuff out?" But anyways it's still a great game. I'm excited to to see. Uh, Age of Empires 4, and we see more of that. Alright. 80 minutes in and we're through the uh the preamble section of the podcast. How are we feeling?
2: Good.
1: We need to stop playing so many games, I reckon. Because these, these are I, these are long. We play so mean, much.
3: <laughs> but the problem is, what else are we going to do?
1: Very true. Very
0: So yeah, uh, Luckily, this uh, quarantine, self-isolate, stay-at-home is conducive to playing a lot of games, but it's also conducive to podcasting, right? So that's why we're here. So yep. over the last week, there's been a lot of little-like news bits, and to uh, to cover absolutely all of them would mean we'd be here forever. Uh, like there was an announcement of a, a new tactics game called Faye Tactics. There was stuff about Yakuza 7 DLC. There's a couple other like smaller indie studios uh, that uh, announced uh, games. Like for instance, uh, Kickstarter for an isometric cyberpunk game called Game Deck just went live. It's probably still live. Um, Sheer and the Wanderer is moving from Vita to Switch. Number five, uh, which Josh, yeah, five plus. I keep saying Josh, James,
2: like James and I are fans of. That's a good game. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you um, talked about the Vita version have, a couple weeks ago. Yeah,
3: yeah. What good timing. Um, considering what happened with... ...going to come west, and it's probably just going to be a similar situation, just drops. Seems inevitable. Because there's already a translation.
2: About a little bit for me there, but you was saying that how Spike turned has just been recently just dropping games sort of randomly. Like like Katana, Katana Kami just sort of launched
3: Yeah, out of nowhere. And I mean... And technically, Shirin uh, 5 Plus got announced for PC from that Steam China thing. Like, last year, was, no, I think it was 2018 or something. So it was announced a while back, so I wouldn't be surprised if it actually were released on PC and Switch at the same time. Yeah, I could do that.
0: Yeah, so that was just me kind of, like, rapid-firing through some of, like, the, the news stories that are all up on the website, but... We don't want to dedicate 10, 15, 20 minutes to each of those because usually some of them are just port announcements or pricing details, things like that. Uh, A lot of the major announcements from the last week, as I mentioned at the the lead-in, came from the Nintendo Direct Mini, which was basically just dropped on us Thursday morning. Uh, Before we get into that, though, there was a couple things outside of that Direct that were also worth covering. The first one is... The mobile game Sinnoh Alice, which came out a couple years ago in Japan and was confirmed for the West not too long after it launched, is finally releasing globally on July 1st. Now, this is a game that I know that Josh could speak very well to, but it is a mobile game uh, designed by uh, Yoko Taro. And if you watch the trailer for this, it's like emotionally charged. It's like it's not a trailer that I would expect for a mobile game. If it, it feels like this is a game that is obviously I haven't played it. So this is just impression based on the marketing, which might be, you know, silly, but it feels like it's batting above. It's like class. Um. So my, my take on itself. this is that, so this game
2: released in Japan just shortly after Nier automata. So that means Yoko Taro is probably working on this at a similar time. And I think he was in a similar headspace when he kind of created the concept. The The general idea, as I understand it, is like you have these fairy tale characters and most fairy tale characters are are girls, but there's some boys in there as well. But like the idea is, is that they're sort of rebelling against their writer in a way, kind of this weird take on how fairy tales exist or not. <laughs> so sorry about that ding, but... Um, it just that seems to be like the headspace that that he's in um, for this game, and that's the focus of it. So yeah.
0: Well, it's it's kind of like uh, there's this there's this literary term called death of the author, where um, an author might write something with a certain intent, but and I hope I'm explaining this right because I'm obviously green at this. But a reader can take a completely different intent than the author, and you can consider that valid. So the author's intent is no longer like living. That's like death of the author, as I understand it. Um, you can basically interpret your own takeaway from a piece of art, whether it's a movie or literature or, or a video game. And this feels like it's taking that idea and kind of making a game based around it more tangibly that's the way I understand it. But the trailer is kind of like one of those things where it's even, even the trailer itself, people are going to have their own takeaway. Like, what does this mean? But, uh, even if you have no interest in like mobile games, uh, if you have any interest in Yoko Taro's work or near automata or whatever, at least watch the trailer. I think it's interesting. It's, it's one of those games. I'm kind of like how George was like, like enjoying looking at Fallout 76 from the sidelines with no interest in really like playing it. That's kind of where I am here. I'm interested in seeing how it does. I hope it does well. Uh, and I think there's, there's, I think kind there's of a, space for it.
2: Just kind of a weird, like, like note on this. The reason why it was, like, took so long was it was going to be released by Nexon. And they're the ones who announced the localization. And then they went radio silent for almost, like, nine months or something like that. And then just recently they announced, so Nexon is no longer involved at all. And now it's actually the developer, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. It's Pocalabo. <laughs> it looks, Bless it's you. It looks like a, it looks like a Pokemon term, but it's not. Um, but yeah, the developer is Poké Labo. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correct, correctly. Um, and they are now doing the publishing. So that's one reason why it took so long.
0: So this is a little bit of a history lesson. So I actually uh, reading the Wikipedia page of Death of the Author. It's an it's actually an, uh, comes from an essay from a French literary cl- uh, critic and obviously i'm not going to spiel through this whole thing but uh uh one thing uh, that this that i think ties into what you described yoko taro's vision is like a, uh so the the french critic is roland barthes he said readers must separate a literary work from its creator in order to liberate the text from its interpretive tyranny so that's kind of a very like poetic way to explain i think kind of what you're describing where it's like the author might intend for something to be interpreted a certain way, but the reader can't, they they have to move. They can't see that intent as gospel. Basically they have, they can, they can, they have to read it with their own interpretation, but anyways, wrap it back. Sino Alice comes out in July worldwide uh, about three years after it released in Japan with some Yoko Taro design philosophies behind it
3: actually interested to check that out. If nothing else, and for the story. Ugh.
0: All right. So next on the docket, I think this is the last non-Nintendo thing here, is uh, we got to see a hands-on preview of Sakura Wars, which is another kind of uh, second tier I use that phrase again I said I would avoid it's it's another video game releasing in April just kind of under the radar because of like Resident Evil and Final Fantasy and uh, James I'll just obviously hand this off to you because you are the one that previewed this for us and wrote up a preview and your thoughts on it for the site so tell yep. us about your uh, experience with soccer wars
3: well um all I'll say is is that um, I kind of I'm not sure how much I'd agree with the uh, idea of it being second tier release like i understand why there's so many other games releasing around now and it, it was going to be kind of i lost didn't mean in second crowd, tier but, i
0: meant uh under the radar i think captures what yeah. i tend to say more correctly
3: yeah um i enjoyed it i feel like it's definitely a bit more of a low-key relaxing game which is ironic considering they made the jump from a tactical rpg to a more muso style like combat system but um The game itself, from what I tried, definitely focused on the kind of narrative-slash-dating-sim aspect of it. I only got to really try one combat section like the hour or so I played of it. Um, The game's presentation is actually surprisingly great. Like, it has this obvious anime aesthetic because I think the uh, Bleach um, artist-slash-creator did character designs. And it's really interesting how they've incorporated like these... um, little flourishes to style within the game like um stuff like facial animations where the way that the pupils will shrink and it's not just like one second it's large pupils the next second for super tiny it's like has a gradual shrink and also with blushes like the way the characters blush in the game is actually pretty impressive in the sense that instead of it just being like small portions of the face that blushes and then it's like a hard like one minute you're no blush. One minute is blushing, that sort of thing. It's like the way that it eases into it and out is actually pretty impressive. Um, blush technology. <laughs> I know it's weird, but um, well, yeah, a game, game that's
0: dating sim heavy. That's sorry, I was I was just gonna say yeah. for a game that's centered around dating sim elements, that seems like appropriate.
3: Yeah, like um, the animations are good. The voice acting's good. The uh, The game just looks really nice. Like, the graphical presentation is definitely a glow-up from uh, where the series was at before. Um, I actually didn't know this until I uh, uh, went to second and played it, but apparently it's running on the same engine as the modern Hedgehogs do. I had no idea. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. Um, I think my main takeaway is that it's going to be a nice, relaxing game. I'm not so sure about the combat because, like, my main issue was that it felt like it needed a lock on, and it is getting a lock on for the Western release, but I haven't tried it with the lock on yet. So I don't know how well it's going to be implemented. I don't know how much it's actually going to help. But uh, overall, I definitely feel like if people are looking for a game to kind of veg out to relax and whatnot, once, uh, well, during this whole situation, which uh, plenty of people are. If they're uh, not into Animal Crossing, it might be a good uh, good game to help you relax, because it's definitely low-key. Just
0: in time for, uh, this isn't really related, but for the Bleach anime to come back.
3: Oh, yeah, I just heard about that.
0: So Kubo's yeah. getting work. Yep. But yeah, it's, uh, I I'm, not, I'm repeating myself here, but I'm not really interested in like a dating sim type game. But I do think uh, uh, it does, you keep using words like it's pleasing, it's relaxed, it's you know, it's just nice and calm, and I, I do definitely see that vibe from it. So uh, I don't think I've seen, like, through Osmosis much of any of the, like, action RPG gameplay. It seems like to be such a small focus for the game. Like, that's just kind of there. It's just kind of, like, bait. It, it, it doesn't just seem
2: like that's the focus, for sure. It's like it, just, it has the you know, minimum
0: viable action gameplay to to pace out the slower conversational stuff. That's the meat of it, which is fine. I'm not like saying that's bad design. It's just like that's just that's just the that's the balance they wanted to go with, and that seems like they've nailed that at least based on what they've yeah. marketed so far and what you've uh, what you've previewed for us.
1: Yep. I will say that, much... that Talking about it now has actually made me interested to give it a little look. Yeah. There. Good job. How done. much else for me to
3: say? Because again, it's a uh, dating sim with uh, whole things like the uh, I wouldn't even necessarily say the narrative, but the like skits between the characters and whatnot. And I only played like an hour, a little bit more than that. So like, I enjoyed what I saw, but I haven't seen like the full game, so I don't know how it's going to pan out have you so.
0: have you played in the other ones uh no before, no uh, before the no so i think we're all in that boat
3: so well, only only
2: other only one of the other games is even available in english officially
3: so, so there wasn't there a fan translation for the original recently? I, I
2: think the original has a fan translation and five has an official one and i think that's it i might be wrong yeah right? yeah so it's i think they're the reason one reason why they rebooted it i think is just because and they're just calling it Soccer Wars in the West, as they understand that for most people, this is going to be their entry point.
3: Well, even in Japan, it was called New Soccer, so that kind of implies it too. Yeah.
2: yeah so in Japan, they're making it obviously a reboot. Uh, in the West, they're just calling it Soccer Wars. They're kind of they they actually took the new or shin off of it. They're just like, hey, this is Soccer Wars. Then, kind of the, the assumption that, for, especially for Western players, chances are. You've either only played five or none of them, so so yeah, that's what it is. Yep.
0: But yep. We have that preview up on the site, as well as all the other news that they've released as they ramp up to the to the late April release date. All right, we've already kind of talked about this game a little bit, but uh, we're we're wrapping back around to Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, but not Cross this time. We're talking specifically about the definitive edition. So this was announced last year in a September Nintendo Direct, I believe. Uh, Not a lot of details since, but there's been a bunch of rumors and listings like on retailers that it was gonna release in May or so. And during the Direct Mini, they basically confirmed that, yes, that's true. Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition will release on May 29th worldwide uh, with a new trailer, new gameplay. And then apparently on the Japanese website, you can find like good several minutes uh gameplay and cutscenes, like unedited, including like spoilers. So be careful if you're digging too deep on uh, Xenoblade Chronicles and you haven't played it. Uh the trailer is fine in my estimation. Like anything spoilery is like deftly cut around and uh there's no context and things like that. But yeah some of the some of the People stuff been
3: yeah, people have been saying that the trailer has spoilers in it, but honestly, if you haven't played the game, you're not going to notice anything. That yeah, would it's be one a of those
0: things. It's only a spoiler if you point it out.
3: Yeah.
0: So. Well, it's not even if you point it out. If you just say this shot is from the same scene that a very big event takes place that's not in the shot, <laughs> it's just <laughs> like okay, that's not. You're really stretching the definition there. But some of the gameplay that's available that's been like pulled from the Japanese website and reported on like some Nintendo facing news. Uh, outlets is clear stark no doubt about it spoiler so be careful but anyways uh this game was obviously got a kind of a completely redone art style it's done pretty much in the style to look like uh xenoblade uh chronicles 2 so the original artist was that uh, i'm gonna get his name mixed up it's the same person that was that's doing the new brigandine uh release the writer I shouldn't even brought it up. I don't remember his name. But uh, I thought that the original art style for Xenoblade Chronicles did actually match the 2D illustrations that were also provided with it, even though it was held back by the um, limitations of the uh, hardware. So the updated art style does also come with new artwork as well, like even in like 2D like promotional art. So it's not just a glow up. It's also a, a shift is what I'm getting at. But I think obviously it's it's coherent now. It looks like it's sequel. Uh, speaking generally, it does also seem like that the uh, added additions to this game that are that are clearly outlined in the trailer as like a post game uh, addition that you can play standalone. Almost like um, Torna, it's called Xenoblade Chronicles Future Connected. So it seems like it's a post game story that. Uh, protagonist Shulk and party member Melia. It's basically brand new content. We don't know much about yeah. it other than it takes place on the Bionis' shoulder, which was cut from the original game. With all the, the artwork, also was...
2: shows two no puns. I wonder yeah. who those two no puns are.
3: Yeah, I'm really curious to see how big that epilogue is. And like, I'm definitely getting a torn from because, like, there's a new track that's available on the Japanese site, like, a snippet of it. And it sounds like a new battle track, and it sounds very much like a similar style to the Torna battle track. And the um, even something as much as the like title design for the new epilogue kind of looks like the Torna title design. And the fact that it's standalone. I, I'm curious if it's going to be a similar size to Torna, and if it's going to be like something like 20-ish hours to do everything. Because that would be really interesting. It's one of those
2: things that we just don't know. Like, the new X-Story in Tokyo Mirage Sessions is like one or two hours total. And I doubt this is that, but who knows?
3: Um, it's definitely going to be more than that, because um, assuming that it's just the the shoulder, like, people, like, the shoulder was, like, cut content in the original game, but you could explore it. And, like, just looking at the shoulder in the um, original game, it was already like pretty big and assuming that they add like actual content to it like that alone is going to be like at least like 5 hours to do everything and that's just not assuming that there's anything else that there's story cut scenes that there's that. like I, I think that it's safe to say that doing everything will probably take at least 10 hours i'm just not sure if anything beyond that
2: and also it's called future connected so it seems like this will have very likely some wider franchise connecting content yeah. and we can only and speculate for now what that means not so, a, not we'll to see.
3: spoil anything but people have played xenoblade 2 um there was like one small change to a character's attire in the trailer that basically confirmed a long-running fan theory since essentially when xenoblade 2 released so it seems likely that are
2: we talking the- about a necklace i noticed this
3: yeah a necklace okay. yep. so <laughs> basically confirms a long long-running theory about xenoblade 2 if you've played xenoblade 2 and you've seen the trailer you know exactly what we're talking about not going to say anything more because it is a spoiler but um that seems prime that that seems to definitely give us an idea of what that epilogue is going to be about especially considering the color of the portals that are that are shown in it considering it's a similar color to yeah um gonna be interesting um, people have basically been speculating. Maybe it'll give us an idea of what a Xenoblade Three might mean, what it might turn out to be. Because, like, before Xenoblade Two came out, like we were assuming it was going to be something like Final Fantasy, where the games weren't connected. But obviously, that's like I don't think it's a secret that Xenoblade One and Two do have story connections. So it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of progresses as the story. I mean as the franchise continues to grow all
0: right so I I wanted to make sure I corrected myself so yeah the original artist was Raita Kazama who has now doing that Brigandine game and then in Xenoblade Chronicles X2 and even other games in the like the Xeno series and also doing Definitive Edition is Kunihiko Tanaka so Basically, long story short, it's gonna have like a, a common through line in terms of character design with the exception that Xenoblade Chronicles 2, part of its like goal was to have all that guest character work where every, every blade was done by like a different uh, artist and then a bunch of them were done by Nomura, things like that. But um, I don't so. really mind the art style change because
2: like that 2D artwork, Never really appeared in the first game, like not even in the menus. Even in the menus in the first game, it was just the normal character models, and those character models were not great. I, I remember yeah, when the first game yeah. was coming out, um, people were wondering if Xenoblade had even better models than Xenosaga 3 did like three years earlier. Um, and I honestly, in my opinion, it didn't. I think Xeno Saga 3 had like better faces and things. Um, so I don't mind that the art changed. Like if the if the menus in the original game had a bunch of the old fashioned old fashioned the old the original two D art, then maybe, but they didn't. So all you saw for the the whole game were the models that were not great, and the fact that they're now much better, um, and more coherent, coherent, and look like the second game. Um, yeah, I think that's a, that's just a complete upgrade for me personally, yeah, even yeah. if the artist is
0: different. So, it's one of those games where like you watch the cutscene uh like, side by side. And from my it's either it's either like one of the most impressive remasters ever because it, it like bo- it borrows like the rigging and the actual like movement and animation with just completely new models, and completely new texture work. Or I, it's I, just, you, could, or you could call it like a super faithful remake because all the yeah. assets are seemingly new. It's not up res and just the, like, like the textures
2: and the assets are new, but like the 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 the, the skeleton underneath it is probably not. So it, some things are remade for sure. I, either way, it's, I definitely yeah, feel I guess like it,
3: this is closer to a remake than a remaster because like you have different textures, you have different models. We are getting new content. We're getting um new like arrangements of the soundtracks it's it i, I don't know it's just like especially after seeing the latest trailer it's it's hard to just say oh it's a remaster when it's like there's so much like drastically yeah, different it's, that it's like
0: yeah it, it's a remake that is just using the original like cutscene choreography or whatever you want to call it so that yeah. it's basically a hundred percent faithful so it seems like it's almost like the perfect blend between the two uh kind of paradigms between remaster yeah. and remake maybe that sounds way too like goldilocks and you know whatever but it's as someone who's played this game and is not really interested in seeing it like re- reimagined or re-envisioned but just wants to play it like almost just almost as if it, like this is how it was always intended but the Wii just could never do justice to what was yeah for the original design both in terms of artwork and in like scope
3: For the longest time, like the definitive way to play Xenoblade was to actually emulate it, because you had the HD texture pack, the sixty FPS patch, and it's like, like, kind of interesting. Because for like so long, people were saying, "Oh yeah, if you're gonna play Xenoblade Chronicles, buy a copy and then play it on PC." And now it's like, well, there's the definitive edition now, so (laughs) now it's back to play it on console.
0: (laughs) Well, I think the weird thing is, is that a lot of people just because of the situation at the launch, I think did try to like import it or emulate it just because there was a time where North America might've never, I announced remember this game, we got crazy.
2: I remember we, a lot of people in the U S imported the European version. Cause that came out like a year earlier.
0: Right. And I think w- there was a window of time. I don't remember if it was months or longer where the European version was out and available and the North American version was not announced and I think yeah, that's so the I might want to play this. And now Nintendo is doing like worldwide releases most of the time with region-free hardware. We've come a long way. So Xenoblade Chronicles DE coming in May, a definitive edition. I just I call it, I say DE cuz that's how it's always written out. But yeah, definitive I guess is just per- the perfect word for it. I'm excited to replay it.
1: I'm definitely going to give it a go. I think I've heard enough good things about it that it's time. Especially, I think the- I
2: think out of all the Xenoblade games, it's the easiest to recommend, for
1: sure. Awesome, can't wait then.
0: Just one word of warning: it is big. Yeah, it's long.
1: Like if you want, yeah, if I've you heard. want
0: to play it start to finish, it's if you want to play it start to finish, even if you're not being completionist. Uh, let's see. I would say like seventy, eighty hours. It's kind of like uh, what- in that way.
3: One, I, one thing I would definitely recommend is um, even though some of the side quests in Xenoblade do seem to be kind of like fetch questy and like MMO style, do them. Because first off, some of them actually have like Monado skills locked behind them. And there's like, and it's kind of really nasty. Like on the Mechonis, there's this like one city that has a ton of side quests. But as soon as you finish that city you can't go back to it so all of those side quests if you don't do them right then and there gone for good so also up your agility, oh, yeah. agility yeah. that you will can. be
1: tweaked you guys are gonna have to make a list of this because i, I am not gonna remember <laughs>
0: yeah. also uh, the side quests have this there's this interesting system in the game that might almost actually be over designed uh, but it's still i think a positive where on any in any uh like encampment there's a web of all of the npcs there ranging from like near nameless people just like random old guy that runs a shop to like soldiers and uh you know other civilians and like they'll have a web of how they're all connected and when you do the side quests you basically are like filling that in uh I'm, my memory's a little foggy because it's been like nine years but I actually found that kind of fascinating where it's like these aren't just nameless people. And obviously the Wii could only do like very kind of rudimentary night cycle where like someone standing here at the day and someone here at night. Like it's not super dynamic, but by 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 having it like interface with the quest system, that was kind of a motivation, like, yeah, this quest might only ask you to go across the beach and collect four doodads. You know, it's the quest design itself might not be that interesting. But the way it interfaced with like, this character relationship tree, I thought at the time, anyways, was really kind of neat and novel. And uh, it's one of the things I, like when I think back on the game, I think of like, that's something that that game uh, is kind of a, a trademark of it. It's something that's unique to that, I feel. All right, the second announcement that we have from the Nintendo Direct Mini This one might be a little bit briefer because we've talked about this in the past, but we finally have a North American release date for Trails of Cold Steel 3 on Switch. This just released on PC, like within the last week. Um, But now we also have the uh, Switch game set for the Switch version of the game set for June 30th. uh, And it does have a demo live now, I believe. I don't know if James can speak about this a bit, but uh, it is coming out for Switch in June.
3: Yeah, it's kind of weird, because, like, the translation's already done. And I think I, like, let me check, like, when I actually played it. But I think it was, like, early February. I actually got to preview it. And it seemed to, yeah, early February.
2: It released in Japan on Switch on March 19th, so, like, two weeks ago. So it's, like, it's already out on Switch in a different language. And the translation is done but it's not coming out in the West until June 30th. So I don't know if there's just some weird programming they still have yet to do, or if it's just kind of like a launch timing thing where they want to have a marketing cycle for the PC version now, and then have another marketing cycle for the Switch version in the summer. Um, That might be it, who knows, we can only speculate. But yeah, I I think it's coming out a little later than people expected, Uh, but yeah, it's coming.
3: (laughs) I wonder if any any of it might have to do with um, delays for the cartridges because like even back in february like there was like the issues with um like coronavirus is still a problem in china back then like i mean it still was a problem there but more significantly and so production for a bunch of games has probably been like pushed back not just like production but also shipping because we're hearing about all those things about like final fantasy 7 remake like spluronix cannot like guarantee that people that pre-ordered a physical copy will get it at launch just because the infrastructure for that is all over the place and since uh, supply
0: chains have been rocked hard
3: yeah so maybe they had intended for it to release in march but even back then they were having issues with they weren't sure if they were going to um be able to uh get it out at the right time. So they figured it's better to delay it to a point where they know they can meet that date versus having low supply or something. That could be it. That's just a guess. So. Because I, like I do know one of the orders... things they're doing is that um, people that pre-ordered the um, limited edition for the PC version, it came with a Steam key in the box along with everything else. Actually, were emailed a uh, separate Steam key because there has been delays in shipment for that limited edition. Because like even on places like Amazon, like anything that's not like essential goods has been hit by massive delays in the uh, in the um, like shipping department. So. I'm
0: not, I, I was going to say, I don't think there's would, a whole lot the, to the, the only other.
3: Go
2: ahead. Sorry, all I was going to say is the only other thing to mention here is how this is the first game in this series to launch on Switch. And in in the very shallowest of ways, it's a decent starting point in the most shallowest of ways because it stars, stars a new primary cast. But in any non-shallow way, it's not a very good starting point for this series. So that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's not like, the worst. It's like, it's like what is? I it? know I that could they have NS
0: America too.
3: Yeah, what I know that like N. S. America. Keep, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know N. S. America keeps saying, "Oh, this is a great place to start," and I know why they're saying it. But no, yeah, people
2: there, there is please... a shallow reasoning that's not false, but it is shallow.
3: Like again, don't play this first. Like now, I do understand why they just ported this one and not one and two first because people are saying well but people that own a switch won't be able to play the first two well, people that own the ps4 in japan weren't able to play the first two because the ports came out after three in japan and i feel like there's a, a very specific through line where vita fans probably ended up buying a switch so if you played one and two on vita it would make sense that maybe you might want to play three on a handheld there you go you have it on switch so yeah, it would be mm-hmm. nice for it to get one, port yeah. um, 1 and 2 to get ported to Switch, but I don't think it's as much of an issue as people are making it out to be. And even if it is, like, 1 and 2 aren't very hard to run on PC. Like, if you have a 5-year-old PC, you can probably run it at 720p, 30fps low, no issues. So, yeah. I mean, I well Durante made sure 1 and I 2 like... ran on GPD Win, yeah. so I mean... If you have a desktop from the last five years, you can run it on PC. It's not an issue. Even a laptop probably. It's the first time
0: it's uh, been uh, like the Switch being the Vita kind of. uh, Spiritual successor sounds too directly related, but it's kind of like it's distant second cousin. (laughs) I don't know. But uh, I wonder just how many sales of this version are just going to be people like double dipping for that handheld experience. How many are they gonna actually be like new players?
2: Yeah. I have seen some people it's just kind of it's kind of it's kind of uh amusing in a way. Like when we post some like birthdays and things on Twitter and like all of us are pretty or most of us are pretty familiar with this series, but I remember we actually posted something about Trails in the Sky second chapter and there was actually like a comment like, Whoa, is that Tita? Like they recognized Tita from Cold Steel 3, but didn't realize that she was actually from a much earlier game. And that's just like one example of like dozens of like callbacks the game has that you're going to miss if you start with it. Uh, so, yeah.
3: I will say is that Cold Steel 3, and I did mention this in my review, like the entire Crossbell chapter is basically a shit ton of fan service for people that played Zero now. And that's something you're completely going to miss if you hadn't played any of the Crossbell games. Well,
2: which... also, this the first chapter is a lot of fan service for Sky. Yeah. And if you haven't played that, it's pretty clear. Like the first chapter is basically a Sky callback. The second chapter is a Crossbell callback. Callback. And then the third chapter is when it really starts to get into like the Cold Steel kind of continuation yeah. of the first two games. There, that's basically what the structure is. Very vaguely. So that's that's those are the things that make it a weird game to start with, so
0: so yeah, it's awkward. So yeah, dive in headfirst in June. That's a recommendation. (laughs) Or get it on PC or Vita. Uh, the second biggest kind of announcement in terms of our website for the Nintendo Direct Mini is new details from bravely default 2 so this was first announced at the game awards last year but uh, now we just got a new trailer basically talking about the characters of the game showed off the new artwork kind of gave like an overview of the uh kind of like the plot framework uh and basically it looks like kind of what you would expect for a sequel to the bravely default to be now i might pass this off to adam because i haven't played bravely default but i know i know about its systems and how how like how it was structured and formatted and how like the the combat system was novel at the time and it seems like this game just kind of iterates and holds to that identity pretty well
2: yeah so we sort of mentioned this kind of concept earlier but bravely default 2 seems to be more like a final fantasy title sequel where Bravely Default 2 is not directly related to Bravely Default 1. At least that's the appearance. They might throw some weird wrench in there, but I I don't think so. It seems to be basically the same core kind of uh, style and same general mechanics, but a different world, different characters. Um, So it is a sequel and it is uh, HD for the first time. The original games were 3DS. So like they had sort of these sort of stylized chibi models. They kept that in this version, but now they bringing it up to HD. They have this more like this claymation sort of style to it. I actually think it looks kind of neat. You know, there's there. I think they it's it. so. Oh yeah, it, it's 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 got a good style to it. Like, um, it's not necessarily like heavily cel shaded sort of anime style, and it's not realistic either. It's kind of its own. It's a, it's a, it, I think it's a very appropriate um transition from a 3DS to a Switch game, going from standard definition to HD while maintaining some of that style uh, in HD. So the trailer, it basically introduced our four characters. We we know their names now. We don't know a whole lot about them, except like the main character was a sailor uh, who washed up in this new land, Um, kind of pretty typical for a protagonist. Uh, One of the characters is a princess on the run. Her name is Gloria, and there's also Elvis and Adele. I don't recall off the top of my head exactly who they are, but they're other people that they're the other two people that that round out your cast. And as the earlier Ravenfall games were, that you know that is your party, and you basically get a job system to morph them into how you want to morph them into, and that's that's basically the core of the combat and the gameplay. Um, and it seems to have the very similar structure to it, where you take on enemies that are asterix holders, and when you take them on. And beat them, you can You get access to their jobs. So basically, as you progress through the game, you get more and more jobs and more and more opportunities to basically play a job system. It's many people kind of refer to Bravely Default as some sort of successor to Final Fantasy 5 because it shares a lot in common mechanically with it. So I've seen a lot. Yeah, of people it's cool to compare
0: see. it to um, Octopath with the uh, the, the charging yes. of of Brave Points.
2: Yeah, similar job system and things like that. So, I haven't played the demo. I'm not really a big demo guy. Um, oh yeah,
0: we I didn't mention that. It. It's got a demo live now.
2: Yeah, and this is something that they that they did for Bravely Default. That they did for Octopath. It's the same. It's not the same developer. It's um, the same like production side, producer side at Square Enix. And they they the same thing with Octopath. They do these demos. And then they'll send out a survey where they can draw feedback from it. And they have made several changes to their games in the past from these surveys. So if you played the demo and there's something you don't like about it, fill out a survey and it's very likely they'll take you into consideration if they hear enough about it. Um, I heard some, there's some criticism about some of the UI stuff. And that sort of stuff is stuff they could easily tweak before launch. Uh, It doesn't have a date. We know it's coming to Switch this year. That's about it. Um, well, I'm looking forward to it. I like the early two games. Hopefully it avoids some of the uh, larger structural problems
0: those games had. So explain to me, like an idiot, like someone's going to ask this, and it probably has an obvious answer. Where, where does Bravely Second fit in?
2: First of all, just a quick side note. The, the developer is, is uh, Works. And they are the developers behind the Bravely Default Fairy Connect or Fairy's Effect um, mobile game. So it's not the same developer. Silicon Studio actually doesn't really make games anymore. Uh, some of the staff might have moved over, but that's just something to note that it's not going to be the exact same studio making the game as the originals. But Bravely Default and Bravely Second are kind of like like Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy X2, where it's like, a game and its direct sequel, where yeah. Bravely Default Two is like Final Fantasy Twelve or something. Uh, I, obviously, it's only the first two games in the series, but it's like the next iterative number. It's a numbered sequel, but not a story sequel. That's that's what it seems to be at this point. So maybe there will yeah. be a Bravely Second Two. Who knows? Yep. All
0: right. That 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 uh, analog to Final Fantasy actually makes it one hundred percent clear. So, thanks. But yeah, it looks neat. It looks like the perfect game to like play on Switch before yeah. bed, and just do a couple battles. I don't know. And I love the art style. So that's what's really drawing me, uh, my eyes to it. Uh, one thing that's also slightly interesting is it's being localized in some
2: capacity by Schlock, who is the European localizer for games like Nino Kuni and Dragon Quest. And I don't know if they're doing the they haven't like officially confirmed that they're doing the English Lok. And that's like the assumption. They they also do like the other European languages as well. But that might give it a slightly different flavor than Bravey Default, which had a, just a Square Enix translation. Like it was fine, um, but it just might have more of that, you know, Kuni Dragon Quest, more of like a British style to it. And some of the voice acting seemed to lean that way too. Um, so that, that might be different and interesting. We'll see. So
0: Bravely Default 2 coming out sometime this year. Yep, It looks awesome. All right, a few uh, last couple items on the list. Uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield, we've learned about its expansion pass, I think, like, right at the start of the year, like early January, I believe. Um, maybe it was late last year. But we, d- we didn't know really the details other than that it was going to be in two parts, one for the summer and one for November. And we've kind of talked about on previous podcasts, like, does that expansion pass replace the release of another Pokemon game? this year. Uh, I think it's leaning that way, but still too early to say for sure. But we got details about the first part of the expansion pass, Isle of Armor. And without having played Pokemon Sword or Shield, I watched this trailer for Isle of Armor, which goes pretty in depth about exactly what you get out of this. And it seems very limited, unless they're really hiding some stuff like behind the curtains. So Isle of Armor is the, basically you'll take your, you know, it's a a post-game expansion where you'll take your team to this island and you partner up with this new legendary called Cub Fu. It's like a fighting type cub karate master. And you take them to these towers to do like kind of like a battle tower challenge. And depending on which one you do, this Cub Fu will evolve and learn different abilities. And then the second half of the trailer talked about how the three starters will finally get Gigantamax forms, and that's it. That's really all the trailer goes through. Unless I missed something in my Did they not like have Gigantamax forms?
3: Yeah, no. no the um, the um, yeah, they didn't have Gigantamax forms. So
0: obviously, the the press release goes into detail about exactly like what Gigantamax Cinderace does uh or you know what the what the abilities do. Uh but oh I guess they did talk about a little bit about how there's new league card designs where you can put it in like different backgrounds and stuff on your on your trainer. Well kind of
2: typical with an expansion in addition to all the like the story and content stuff is like yeah there's new outfits and new league card designs and things like that too. Like there there's always going to be that. People who just want new just costumes.
0: You can do that. Yeah, and then like the, the game has a really, as far as I can tell, robust system of like accessorizing and things like that. Uh, so I'm I'm certain we'll see new like a big expansion there. It's just that it was hard to it was hard to detail or like glimpse or glean what the scope of this was because basically it said you go there, you partner with this legendary Pokemon. There's two towers that go on. You pick one, and in terms of like an adventure, that's all they gave. I'm not saying that's all there is, but it's like, new, is it new gyms? Are there are new Pokemon being added to the decks? I don't know if I'm missing something or if I was expecting, like, what my expectations were were misaligned, but this just seems like piecemeal to me. But maybe I have that preconception about Sword and Shield that it's clouding my judgment to, to look at it fairly. No, I think
2: I agree. I also have not played this game. Um, maybe it's worth mentioning that. The expansion pass for Pokémon Sword and Shield is thirty dollars, and it comes in two parts. So effectively, this first part is fifteen dollars, though you cannot buy it separately. But you know, in terms of value, and yeah, it does seem like how 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 much content is there? Like, how long does it actually take to do this tower and beat it? Get your Dynamax form, get your Cubfu Pokémon, and some accessories like. How long does that take? How much content are we talking about? It doesn't seem like a lot, but maybe they're just not showing everything. It's hard to say.
0: Well, they, they, they did introduce a few new characters. Like they, they did that little like preview thing where if you bought the expansion pass, you got that uh, unique slowpoke. And you met some of the NPCs, like the guy with the tall hat. I forget what his name was. Um, so maybe there'll be some character stories tied into like those. But none of that was just really on display here. So uh i guess we're not being very positive about this but this comes out in june uh it's hard it's just hard to get a good gauge on it i suppose like it's one of those things where like if you've bought into pokemon already then you've bought in and you'll get what you get but i just didn't see anything that was prevented at the direct that said like if you were on the fence about whether or not this expansion pass would be worth it i didn't see anything here that would push you over that's my takeaway
1: I just think it would suck for Sword and Shield to get more negative reception, like I'd really like this to do well.
0: Ryan, well, what did you think about, about the, the conversation?
1: Trailer. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, George. It, well, that's it. it, it didn't really impress me. Um, uh, I guess the fact that I was shocked that there, were there weren't Gigantamax forms of the starters should show that I wasn't really paying too much attention to Sword and Shield in the first place, but... Yeah, I, I I do agree with what's been said, but I hope that there's more behind the curtain. Um, and I, I imagine there will be. Like, they, they, they shouldn't show off all the details straight away anyway, but may, maybe The problem
3: is, is that, like, it feels like they almost showed off everything for Sword and Shield before launch, too, and I know that was a major issue that people had with Sun and Moon, and even, like, X and Y to an extent, that it's like, that's it? <laughs> So I don't like, know like
0: there's a there's a way to show off a limited amount, but still br- still build like the intrigue about wow, they're gonna build this you're gonna go on this vast new island and what you know however they want to frame it, but here it's just like there's a there's a dojo and then a tower, and like they didn't really frame it in an interesting way. That's kind of where I'm looking at, but yeah, maybe we'll all be taken for fools, and Isle of Armor will actually be like this expansive, cool engaging thing it kind of goes back to the, to that uh conversation we had earlier like i'd want to go into this um with like a fresh mind without the preconception like i don't want to go in saying like oh this isle of armor is going to be limited and you know not not very interesting but what they presented just has been hard to shake that perception for me but isle of armor yep coming out did they give a date they just said before the end of june so still no real date yeah And then maybe they're saving their big guns for uh, the second half to come in the fall. We'll see. All right. The last topic, which was not a Nintendo direct uh, announcement, but was just announced, I believe yesterday, was that story of seasons friends of mineral town. This is basically modern day harvest moon will launch this summer for Nintendo switch in North America. And we wrote a post about it and if you, pre, uh, Adam can correct me. If you pre order it, you get this little like cow plush that's really cute. And I know some people are, who are like big Harvest Moon fans are really looking forward to this. I'm not, so I don't really, I don't really like get the appeal. But uh,
3: I think, Adam, are, that, you, um, are there
0: any other details about Story of Seasons, Friends of Mineral Town?
2: Well, it has a date in Europe, July 10. Um, Marvelous Europe and XC, they're kind of. There's unlike some of the other publishers that were the European and North American announcements are pretty much just identical to each other, mirror images with maybe a, a very slight difference. Here, they these Marvelous Europe and XC kind of announce things in their own time and they're sort of in tandem with each other, but not really. They Marvelous Europe announced a July 10 date a while back, and then XE just announced this summer window and it may not launch in July. Who knows? They're, they're not always at the same time, even though, even though they're both parent company is marvelous so one of those just they're they're just a smaller localization team that can't always be simultaneous that's that's the only other main thing to mention about this i guess i guess also worth mentioning is that this is a remake of the game boy Advance games harvest moon uh friends of mineral town and more friends of mineral town it, it had one of those like Pokemon Red and Blue sort of things where there was two different versions and one of them you played as the guy and one of them you played as the girl. Um, so this remake basically just kind of matches them together. So you can just like modern Harvest Moon type games, you can play as either gender and marry um, either gender. I don't know if there's like gay marriages or whatever. I'm not sure. I haven't looked into that, but you can at least play as either gender.
0: Is that like a unique situation where it's a remake but can't use like the same branding?
2: Kind of yep, the, that, that whole Harvest Moon thing is so weird because it it um, was a marvelous brand. I don't know the details, but somehow so when it was translated, the, uh, Monogatari is the uh, Japanese name. Vocalo uh, trans-
3: Monogatari, which is literally Farm Story. Yeah. And when it was <laughs> translated, um, God, I'm actually just blanking. What's the company? Natsume, it's in, Natsume yeah. Um, They chose the title Harvest Moon, and they own the copyright for the title. So when um, Marvelous decided to bring the translation in house because it made more sense for them to do so, they couldn't use the Harvest Moon branding, so they had to come up with a different title for the same games. And um, it's been a bit of a clusterfuck because all the while, um, Natsume has been continuing to release quote-unquote, Harvest Moon games that they've developed themselves. So, like, every now and then, like, people, more people know nowadays, but there's still plenty of people out there that don't know that, no, Story of Seasons is Harvest Moon. The Harvest Moon games that released on 3DS, like, halfway through the life cycle forward aren't actual, quote-unquote, Harvest Moon games. They're not some Harvest Moon games. They're not the yeah. original developer.
2: So that's how Story of Seasons Friends of Mineral Town is a remake of Harvest Moon Friends of Mineral Town.
3: Yeah, I'm really curious how this is going to sell because I feel like, and I, I think I mentioned this before, it definitely feels like Stardew Valley has come and kind of just taken the mind share away from the original series to the point where even fans of Harvest Moon slash Story of Seasons... Maybe might not be interested in the series as much anymore, just because of how much like Stardew Valley has done to kind of take away that mind share. I hope this does yeah. well, because I like. To I why? think the one Harvest Moon game that I played when I was younger was actually uh, Friends of Mineral Town, so I'd be I'd be down to play this again. Just it's like, yeah.
0: I feel like that farm sim genre. As someone who's not really into it. Like the number, the number of options that you get seems just be growing, because Harvest Moon, like new and old, is around in two flavors or whatever, and then there's Rune Factory, and there's like Stardew, and then even indie developers are getting on it with like that uh, Summer of Mara that we talked about last week. I just feels like there's a lot of options if you want to play that sort of game. Or right. I feel like almost if I wanted to get into that, I don't know where I'd start. I feel like it would have to be Stardew though. I don't know. Nowadays, it feels like that's what I see through osmosis most commonly. And then lastly, we have one shout-out that George wanted to give for today. I'll just let you go ahead.
1: Yes. Uh, So, as I found out today, um, it is the 18th anniversary of the Kingdom Hearts series. And if you've been listening to the Tetchcast for the past couple of months, then you'll know that I tend to bring up every chance I get. Um, It is my all-time favourite game series, I love it to death, and I just wanted to say 18 years is a fantastic sort of achievement. It's older than you. Yeah, No, I'm I'm 21, so it's not older than me, but it's pretty close. Um, And yeah, I just wanted to say to the community, to the developers if they listen, to anyone involved with Kingdom Hearts, thank you. Uh, It's amazing. It is Obviously kind
0: of slightly interesting now. Um, Go ahead.
2: Now that Remind is out, and that's the last bit of thing, a bit of content for Kingdom Hearts Three. We know there's a mobile game coming out that apparently is just kind of an expansion for an existing mobile game. Um, that's that Dark Road thing. So it's a, we're kind of in that we're in that space again. Where it's like, well, what's next? Uh, and a bunch of speculation based on uh, the, the the teaser ending to the end of Kingdom Hearts three in my mind, and Whoa. who knows they 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 have said in, in interviews and such that they it seems like they want to continue sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, so, um, should... Nomura, obviously with Final Fantasy seven remake, uh, he's been having quite a lot of interviews and the inevitable Kingdom Hearts questions come on, and he said that one of them is actually coming very soon and that the artwork for Remind sets of groundwork so I'm presuming that it's going to be a Kyrie game which would be awesome. Uh more Kingdom Hearts the better. Sooner as well.
0: I was just going to say obviously a big part of our Twitter presence is to do these anniversaries and birthdays and it's always kind of interesting to see like which ones kind of take off and which ones just kind of have like their, their loud but limited number of fans and then the ones that get like ignored Kingdom Hearts, obviously, is the one that takes off. Uh, Right now, we did the birthday tweet for its 18th year anniversary, and it's at 2,000 likes. So, obviously, it's a series that has touched a whole bunch of people and uh, has intrigue going to this day. If you've played through Remind, and we have no idea where the series is headed or what is actually cooking in Nomura's majestic brain of his. But exciting time still, 18 years later, to be a Kingdom Hearts fan.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to specifically say on on the podcast, ah, oh, here, here's to Kingdom Hearts because I I wouldn't even be writing for RPG site if it wasn't for my involvement with the series and how much I love that, and I wouldn't even be interested in gaming journalism without realizing how how much I knew about Kingdom Hearts and how much I could do with it. So it means a whole bunch to me.
0: Thank you Nomura for unknowingly bringing George to us. All right, and that wraps up this edition of the TetraCast. We got to talk about a bunch of different games in our uh, uh, playing section, and then all the Nintendo news and a few other tidbits that we both gleaned over and went into detail on. Uh, as always, you can find us at RPGsite.net. That's where we we'll post all of our previews, like the uh, Soccer Wars or the reviews like Iron Danger, and then all the news from the uh, trailers presented at Nintendo Direct and everywhere else. You can find us on Twitter, see all the birthdays at RPGsite, you can also find us on Facebook and YouTube, RPG SiteNet. You can find our Discord channel. We have a pinned tweet now, slightly better uh, route to arriving at our Discord. Uh, we've received seen a lot of new members in the last week. So uh, look look for our pinned tweet or get to us from our homepage. Uh, if you want, you can follow me at zeomasicot, Z-E-O-M-A-S-S-I-C-O-T. George, where can they find you?
1: Uh, so you can find me on pretty much all social media with at G which is G E P U G G.
0: All right. And then Adam, where can I find you?
2: K I N G
0: underscore S E D A.
3: And James you can find me at T H E S W W E E T.
0: All right. And then next week, we'll see if we're still playing a ton of games as we're locked inside, uh, and we'll just see that section of the podcast grow and grow and grow. But we will keep you up to date on everything that's launching soon, such as Persona, Final Fantasy, Soccer Wars, Trials of Mana, and everything else. So, as always, we'll see you next time. Take care.
3: Stay safe, for everyone. Uh, Play video G- games.